Um, it's kind of it's it's kind of like uh, it's it, it's almost like it feels almost like it's it's uh, it's it's kind of it's 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 kind of it's it's kind of it's 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 kind of it's 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 kind of it's Welcome once again aboard Beef Station. Join us as we rocket through the stars at the speed of sound. I'm Oscar. Andrew. Let's get into it. How you doing, boy? Yeah, good. What's that? Is there a knock at the door? Yeah, it's your boy. It's Patrick. Patrick's here. Uh, yeah, okay, it's me. Yes, it is me. <laughs> well, welcome welcome back Thank aboard you. Beef Station yeah, yeah. to special guest Patrick. It's just good to be back in the motherfucking trap with my boys. Yeah. Welcome back. You um last time Patty was on was for the Sicario episode, which is like way Say back. Say the full name. I think that Sicario 2... Electric Boogaloo Day of the <laughs> Soldado Jesus oh, I, think, so yeah. I think the first episode You were on Was like pre-episode 10 That was early days Yeah Yeah Thank you I, I, Yeah I had a lot of fun With the Sicario episode But I also like I thought That watching a bad movie Would like <laughs> Make the content better But I just got bummed out By how fucking shit That movie yeah. was Yeah <laughs> It's a real struggle <laughs> and, man Yeah So like Yeah that, that kind of sucked And I was trying to be high energy but I think I was I, there's a there's a golden a zone where a movie is like and, and it, it's not a bell curve or anything no. where a movie is like perfectly bad to talk about on an app yeah. or it's like perfectly fucking bad enough to just make it boring to talk about. yeah <laughs> like, exactly like, it's yeah. just not a good movie man <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's the line between like mediocrity and like Genuine like outsider art yeah. as well, yeah. like yeah. where something is <laughs> so bad that it shit. transcends like taste. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. like and like the that's the thing. Like when you watch the room and you're like, holy shit, I need to watch more bad films. And then you subject yourself to like three or four, and you're like, oh, uh, what am I fucking doing to myself? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like just immediately makes you realize your own mortality. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Oh, yeah. man. Um, Awful shit. Geostorm. Awful shit. I watched Geostorm with Zoe and that was like... Give us a quick synopsis. Uh, it's Jared Butler and the humanity's reached a point where they can control the weather with like satellites <laughs> and Fuck shit. Fuck yeah. I'm so in on I'm this I'm all shit. in. <laughs> yeah. So it's like the day after tomorrow meets like Independence Day. So it's like two <laughs> Roland yeah. Emmerich films in one. Fun Not fact. directed by Roland Emmerich. Oh as well. yeah, <laughs> so yeah. Shared director, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We have watched- a DVD box set of day after tomorrow and Independence Day and I was like, that's an incredible coincidence but you've just made me realize they're directed by the <laughs> <laughs> It sounds like we've almost slipped into a bit of beefness or pleasure, eh? No, okay, well, fine. It's our beefness or pleasure is our new segment where sometimes we watch a movie to talk about it on the podcast. That's our beefness. Oh. We both watch it. But sometimes you watch a movie just for a little bit of pleasure. Oh. Yeah, see, so interesting. In this case <laughs> <laughs> in this case, in our little segment of for beefness or pleasure that we've fallen into a bit here, you see. Mm. It's just it's just for you. And I'm we've slipped up the content. We've slipped right it now. into the podcast. No, I'm just I'm just I'm trying to brand this episode. I'm trying to brand this segment a little bit more. You're all about sections, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, I'm trying to brand you the segment a bit more. I feel like <laughs> you can't you can't just come in here and just talk about whatever the fuck you want to talk about <laughs> without giving it a dumb fucking label, okay? <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> um, this apocalypse movie you're talking about you were talking about reminded me of a movie. <laughs> whatever that we the saw. fuck it's called. <laughs> Geostorm. 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 Don't watch it. Do not watch it. <laughs> All right. Not a sponsor. Yeah. We watched. What was the name of the Tom Cruise movie we watched a little while ago? Uh, 
Geostorm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Yeah. Got him. Uh, I'm thinking. Was okay, it a race? I'm gonna movie? list words as they come into my head. Armageddon. Oblivion. Not is it. Oblivion. Oblivion. Yes. Oh, Oblivion. I thought the that, that alien one, right? It feels almost like Wally, but it's Tom Cruise yeah, and his yeah, like yeah. lady partner. <laughs> Fuck. I <laughs> just. Go- you know how when you Google the title of a <laughs> <laughs> I Googled the t- uh, Wikipedia the title of a movie and just went onto the page for combustion, <laughs> the chemical process. <laughs> Fuck. There's a little sizzle for it yeah. later on in the app. Um, Fuck. That is such a power move though, just like yeah. I mean, there's that Nathan for you Instagram post where it's just like he uploaded it on Independence Day. And it's just him at his computer, like on the Wikipedia page for Independence Day. And it's just like, oh, neat. <laughs> Fuck. Um, but that happens like maybe once every two apps that like will Google the title of a film and it, it'll just be like, here's, the, here's the You Googled, the, you Googled <laughs> yeah. moon and it got to the page for the Literally moon. Literally the, the celestial body of the moon. And I was like, you fucking, you know what I fucking meant. <laughs> it was like, is like this what you wanted? Like every algorithm we've ever invented is fucking useless. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's this Tom Cruise movie where he's almost like Wally cleaning yeah, up the earth yeah, after yeah. some apocalypse. And it, but it was the perfect movie where like the writing was kind of dog shit, but the production value was so high and I had so much fun watching it. It's funny how like there are some movies that are bad. We could talk about like movies that are bad or good or like somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Like, I, <laughs> like, and a soundtrack by M83. Yeah, Dude, that's was, what that was. It that's was such like a, a good movie, and I was thing. so surprised to go and watch it later and find out it had like a it had a Rotten Tomatoes score of like thirty Awful. or something. Yeah, no, it, it was, was a like good like example. S- it was like straight fifties. Yeah, it was a good example of yeah. a movie that doesn't score very well on scores, but we both had a great old time watching it. Yeah, which I thought was interesting. Who was it directed by? Oh, no one interesting. Joseph, Joseph Kaczynski. Kaczynski. I've been going in on, but it did have interestingly enough Andrew Riseborough uh, of Mandy fame. Um, who has incredible oh, range? Because incredible. She looks completely Great fucking actor. different. Feels completely different mm. on screen in Mandy. Yeah, she's amazing. This, uh, I, I really have like yeah, really good. And she's English, and she can do like a pretty decent American accent. So yeah, mad props yeah. to her. And in Birdman, is like an, <laughs> a, a fucking mentally unstable kind of semi-pregnant partner. Really, really cool. <laughs> yeah. well, I, I would think it's underrated, but she was also in that Black Mirror episode. The, yes. The murder mystery yes. one. Have you, yes. I haven't really watched, good. I haven't Black Mirror just much. kind of has little moments yeah. where you're, you're like, oh, fuck, that person. Yeah, she's like Gary Oldman in that sense. Yeah. Well, I, I think Gary Oldman's got like more recognition now, but yeah, there's a period of time where he felt like fucking Mystique from yeah. X Men. Yeah, I mean, we've all felt like fucking Mystique at one point or another. Uh-huh. <laughs> that blue paint. That would be great if Mystique Ooh, was. That's going to sound good on the market. If Mystique, he does Believe that me, at does. least once an episode. <laughs> um, recasting Mystique as Gary Oldman. <laughs> <laughs> Visionary. Yes. <laughs> this is, this Just him <laughs> with like fu- a fucking juicy blue eyes. <laughs> yeah. There's a hilarious story Clearly that Jennifer... wearing a G-string. <laughs> <laughs> There's a hilarious story that Jennifer Lawrence tells on a talk show where she talks about how she's been Mystique for so long and she was actually she was Mystique since before she was like Jennifer Lawrence yeah 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 um, and she said that it took them to like the fourth X-Men movie she was in before they realized that Wait, she didn't sorry, have to sorry. get all painted up in blue body paint all the time did you say X-Men X-Men <laughs> yeah, X-Men yeah, yeah, X-Men you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know how it's a Jewish film <laughs> <laughs> the X-Men <laughs> oh, um, oh, yeah, she's talking about how it, it took her to like the fourth X-Men movie before they realized she didn't have to get all dressed up in seven hours of blue body paint yeah. in every movie 
Um, oh. <laughs> which sounds like a fucking nightmare. Yeah, that does sound like a nightmare. Um, we went in on uh, recently the first episode of the Twilight Zone, which has been rebooted by Jordan Peele. Oh, so you watched the the reboot? The reboot. Okay. Yeah. The first episode of a new, <laughs> a brand new season. I thought it was pretty good. It kind of reminded yeah. me of almost like Black Mirror, which is why I'm mentioning it. But you know, it's got a bit more magic and supernatural kind of themes. Yeah. So the first yeah, episode's Black got Mirror, a little like kind of quirkier. It's a bit hammier. A little safer. Like but Jordan Peele comes out and goes like, now he has entered the Twilight Zone and like looks yeah. down. It, it's like a very, it's got a very 50s kind of hammy kind of vibe to it. Which yeah. I, I don't know. It. it feels like that format's maybe a little outdated, but look, I haven't seen it, but just, just in terms of like, especially like the original Twilight episodes, just like having a host to introduce segments and stuff like that. Like there's yeah. Tales of the Crypt Keeper as well. That's why I, th- yeah. I think it's kind of charming back in the... It's kind of charming, but yeah. I think like if if you had Black Mirror, like someone in Black Mirror doing that, it would just kind of ruin it. I think that's why it's yeah. cool that you get all these... Um, I don't know. I've, I've only seen the first episode. I thought it, was, it wasn't amazing. I thought yeah. it was pretty good though. And I I'd be curious yeah. to see what the next one's come out of. I don't think that that particular idea for a storyline was like hugely captivating but then the way that it was executed was pretty good it was kind of cool so the idea about the first episode is you can skip a couple minutes if you don't want us to spoil the first episode of Twilight Zone <laughs> but like fuck you um, it was Kamal Nanjiani fuck you Kamal Nanjiani plays a stand up comedian in the show mm-hmm. who tries all this political gear that no one in his audience ever really likes but he's like no I don't want to sell out and do like dumb jokes and he get he meets this like weird comedy genie <laughs> who says like if you talk about something personal on stage that you think's like a hack sellout thing sorry is this the story of Michael Richards doing his <laughs> set at the comedy factory <laughs> no, I'm not I'm familiar, familiar. Uh, <laughs> he dropped a Michael Kramer? Richards came Kramer's, on stage oh, and it was shit. like oh, oh sweet yeah, yeah, Kramer yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he went up and said the n-word <laughs> I, until this moment didn't know that that was the name of the guy that played Kramer uh, but I knew the fucking oh Kramer man thing. I wish that hit with you that would have been Man, that would be <laughs> that was how I found out. Like, no, Seinfeld's fine. Like, yeah. Kramer, what? You mean Kramer said what? Yeah. What did Kramer say? Yeah. He Kramer. pushed him the door and said something wacky. Like, oh, Jerry, I need to borrow your fax machine, right? <laughs> the short thing is that Kamel does this, you know, deal with the devil where he can always do a personal joke that he thinks is kind of hack, but it'll always get laughs. But when he goes off stage, the thing he jokes about never existed. So he jokes about having a dog and then his girlfriend's like, what? We don't have a dog. <laughs> and like, he like starts to like joke about all the people in his personal life that he wants <laughs> to get like, rid of. Uh, how about that erectile dysfunction? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's, it's like, he fucks with his reality and like, he, yeah. you know, deletes like his high school bully and shit oh, cool. from yeah. reality. It's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, that's <laughs> I meant to go into more of it, but it's such a pain in the dick. Interesting. It's on some dumb fucking streaming service that no, I think it's on a tens paid streaming service. Ah, so uh, fuck. fuck that. Um, yeah, no, no, I'm not doing that. Yeah, right. I'm, I'm so <laughs> sick of getting roped into like low tier streaming services yeah. because yeah. I want to watch one t- like fucking title. Fuck title, man. Oh, yep. God. The Kanye West I'm so good though, bro. Glad. <clears throat> I bought uh, Compton by Dre when it came out yeah. <laughs> and I bought it on CD and I, like I went to look it up on Spotify like five times because mm, yeah. every time I forget about fucking title yeah. and yeah every time I'm like oh fuck you I'll just listen to the MP3s <laughs> no yeah, I'm ripped of your you fucking CD you can't make me CD. listen to your dumb ass fucking yeah. streaming platform yeah it feels like I'm getting more into cable it's almost like cable TV yeah. where you have to subscribe to at least different fucking channels but they're well, streaming actually, services um, have you guys heard of Mubi? Mm, movie, yes. movie, <laughs> movie, M-U-B-I. Um, they're still a thing. Yeah, movie. Yeah, movie's still a thing. Um, and they do kind of artsy. They're like an artsy Netflix. Yes, I have heard about this. Um, yeah, and yeah, there yeah. was another one called Filmstruck as well. But Filmstruck have just finished up. Damn. The cr- because there was a bunch of Criterion films on Filmstruck, 
and they I don't really like, know what Criterion is. What is that? Criterion? Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's like a dis- distribution. Okay, right. Company. Well, they I have, know Criterion Games. They made Burnout. Fuck not, yeah. It's not bad. <laughs> Let's talk about that. Dude, yeah. Burnout you just three get to watch people play Burnout three takedown. Hours of my ten year old life. I'm a Revenge Man. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Interesting. Revenge Man yeah. and a Dominator Man. I reckon what were Bur- you talking about? I think about? Burnout three takedowns where I first heard uh, the Fratellis. Yeah, they also Fuck, had that, was, that was a good soundtrack, and they also yeah. had this fire I've by Franz Ferdinand. I've literally been listening all to today the Burnout to the Burnout Dominator soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck yeah, I'm all in on Freya the Sword, Jane's Addiction. I'm fucking all in, dude. Big I'm just, if you've ever played a Burnout game. Go on to Spotify and search Burnout, whatever been, game you want, yeah. and the soundtracks are in playlists. It's fucking great. I've been spinning fuck. my Discover Weekly with like indie hits, and you're just no, listening to the fucked. fucking Call of Duty soundtrack. No, Burnout, sake. no, EA, back then, EA curated fucking excellent soundtracks yeah. for their games, yeah. dude. Seriously. The, as exemplified by the Fratellis. Okay. Uh, so just. Just yeah. to quickly, because I feel like oh, yeah, I was sorry, yeah. I was almost performing a public service there. But um, yeah, if if you like the Criterion films, I think they're releasing a new streaming service soon. Cool. So like, okay. yeah, it's weird. Yeah, I think maybe familiarize yourself with the, the the Criterion collection. Anything to do with the leftist streaming? Service no, that's that's like separate. Recently? It's different. But fuck. Yeah, that that's that looks interesting as well. Streaming is like guys. different. Yeah, it seems like we're at a point where, where like all these different streaming platforms are opening up, and they all have like very different like. Yeah, like they'll they'll be focusing on like niches, I yeah. guess, like political yeah. streaming platforms or something. I just want Disney to own the world so there can be one streaming service. I'll just subscribe to Disney Plus. Yeah. We live in hell. Has anyone got any other uh, beefness or pleasure? Hey, the name of this segment we're doing uh, before I, I get oh, onto the wait. news. Yeah, I I did have. Um, I started writing a list of hot takes. <laughs> um, That's good shit. <laughs> You've picked a. But bit. all I have that look, I I tried to write a list and I only came up with one. <laughs> Oscar, do you want to read this out? <laughs> yeah, fuck yeah. <laughs> hot takes. George Lucas, ISIS beheading. <laughs> <laughs> So how do you guys feel about that? Oh shit! <laughs> With like two swords at yeah. the same time, you know what I mean? Like, and it's the crossblade. Oh. Yeah. Fuck yeah! Can we be uh. talking about that Greek god, please? <laughs> Just extending beef or pleasure a little bit. Yep. Is that okay? Thank you. The name of this segment that we're doing. Yes, Absolutely. The, the segment. Have you watched any documentaries about the making of the Phantom Menace? No, because it's really fucking interesting. I guess maybe that was on my mind when I wrote the words <laughs> George Lucas Isis beheading. <laughs> um, he so like the the studios threw like a whole bunch of fucking money at him. Yeah. And like he's just coming up with like all of these fucking trash ideas like in in the Phantom Menace cuz like it's obviously like a mess of a film. Yeah. Um, it's like a it's like a C grade West Wing set in space. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> Um, this this documentary is like pretty interesting because it goes into like the making of the Phantom Menace, but it also goes into um, uh, like the the fan reaction to it. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just well, uh, while you're looking it up, I, I saw um, the guy um, Peter Sarah. I think his name's Peter Serafinowicz. That he's a comedian. He's in hot. Serafinowicz. So yeah. He's, he's in Hot Fuzz and that, and he was called as in. Who? Oh, as yeah. a roommate in Shaun of the Dead. Maybe yeah. He was called into um, voice Darth Maul. Yeah. Oh shit. And he, he was like a good. massive Star Wars fan. And he was really excited. And he was apparently called to some studio in London, which was famous for being like the shittiest fucking studio <laughs> in London. <laughs> no. And um, the fucking Star 
Wars, you'd just be like... I know, what the fuck? Something's like, going <laughs> on. How do you fumble yeah. that shit? Yeah. Anyway. He tells like a 15-minute story on a podcast. I'll link it in the... I'll, I'll send it to you to link in the notes for this episode because it's funny, but I'm basically going to retell it. Yeah. So he was talking about how like George Lucas was like st- sitting behind him while he was recording the lines. This is like about like how shitty George Lucas is as a director. Peter Sarovinovitz was like, um, so have you got any like direction for me for this character? And he says George Lucas was like, make him evil. Yeah, yeah. Just literally. make him really <laughs> evil. Um, okay, yeah, so can I, like, <laughs> so, man. all right, this is the opening crawl for The Empire Strikes Back. Episode 5, The Empire Strikes Back. It is a dark time for the Rebellion. Although the Death Star has been destroyed, Imperial troops driv- have driven the Rebel forces from their hidden base and pursued them across the galaxy. Fuck yeah. That's pretty evocative, right? Yeah. This is the opening crawl for The Phantom Menace. <laughs> Turmoil has engulfed the Galactic Republic. The taxation of the trade routes to the allies. <laughs> Love talking about tax in, in my opening <laughs> of a movie that costs like hundred million dollars. Yeah, in the, in the fucking um, the main plot of the Phantom Menace is a tax embargo. It's like an embargo, yeah. a Which, trade embargo. For the record, I am all in on. I think they just. I think they literally just. Here's a fucking hot take. You have not seen it. They didn't yeah, botch the basis. They only botched the execution of a Star Wars movie about tax. Yeah, I guess. No, this is this is this All right, is fucking. I'm being met with a cold yeah. reception. That's okay. I'm okay with some of my ideas being recognised posthumously. You're you're being met and received by two people who've seen it after they were six fucking years old. Yeah, <laughs> a valid point. A valid point. But like the Trade Federation dudes are just Chinese stereotypes. Oh, so that's the other thing as well. Sorry, <laughs> which is wild. <laughs> Star Wars is pretty. Pr- I think it's a bit of a problematic thing with the Phantom Menace. It was. Especially that documentary, they they're interviewing they're interviewing fans and they're all just saying like, yeah, from the 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 start, the opening title, the opening crawl just sounded off. You know, I didn't <laughs> didn't really make it. And like, yeah, you read the fucking three paragraphs and it's just like deadly fucking boring. Yeah. Um, well, it's, they, th- the thing is that movie has such great art direction though. Mm. Like all the costumes are beautiful. Yeah, because the it was sets like look incredible. Yeah. No, but like it looks. It looks incredible, and a lot of the acting yeah, is really art, good. I still remember like the fucking uh, like yeah. Naboo being raided, and like the fucking yeah, the, and the, like that planet gets raided. The spa- right? the thing with the Naboo fighters going into yeah. that ship is so Fuck yeah. fucking great. It looks great. It's just that it's boring. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, all of Anakin's character is dog shit. Yeah, because yeah, he was a kid in the first one. Yeah. Right? Yeah. No, I thought. Oh fuck, Jake I mean, it was Lloyd, fine, but dude. the podcasting and sh- uh, <laughs> yeah, podcasting, Anakin, <laughs> pod, <laughs> pod racing. There's yeah, been episode three where Anakin and Obi Wan start a podcast. Podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> podcasting. I Fucking know we're in trouble. Just hang on. <laughs> <laughs> it's working. It's working. <laughs> Or whatever yeah, he says. So <laughs> I, I don't even know what fucking point I'm trying to make, but um, uh, uh, in Phantom, the yeah, this is another one of your hot takes that Phantom Menace is a bad movie. So yeah. you, you were linking yeah. watching this documentary and thinking about the context of the opening of episode one. Oh no no just just but the the documentary itself. Like it was, it's there. There are like so many scenes where it's like George Lucas saying, like, yeah, it's gonna be, it's gonna be amazing. There's gonna be uh, lots of computer. <laughs> there's gonna be a whole. This whole field is just gonna be full of computer computer generated droids having a war <laughs> against one another. And like, there's just like an advisor, like, like standing behind him, just like shaking their head with like really <laughs> wide eyes, <laughs> just like. Um, yes, um, yes, yeah. this is going to happen. This same interview, we, uh, before we go on to the news, this same interview I watched with this Peter dude who did the Darth Maul voice talked about how he'd heard that Terrence Stamp 
because Terrence Stamp is in it as one of these like galactic fucking senators or whatever. Um, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and he is like a huge name. Yeah, to yeah, have gotten Terrence for this Stamp. Movie. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and his agent was like, "Oh, you're gonna be in the new Star Wars movie. If you want it, it's you're playing like the fucking president of the universe." And he was like. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> I don't really. I mean, yeah, baby. <laughs> I knew my chance would come. <laughs> and, he, and, and then his agent's like, of a lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. And his agent, and his agent goes like, "Oh, and you're going to be acting with Natalie Portman." And he goes like, "Really? <laughs> I'm in." And so he gets on. Oh, so he he was. So he was like horned up for Natalie Portman. Fuck, the the really? way that this he's being betrayed, but like you know whatever. She's a, she's a good looking lady. Yeah, Fine, they, whatever. They really um, fucked him up in the edit. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so he's like, oh, he's like, oh, okay. I get to the scene with Natalie Portman. I get to play the president of the universe, whatever. And he gets there on stage, and it's this giant fucking green screen yes, studio. Yes. And he's like, oh, you're standing there, and see that ping pong ball? That's Natalie Portman. <laughs> <laughs> she's, so he does she's his, shooting something else. So he yeah. does, yeah. So he does his first day. And he calls his vendetta. <laughs> yeah, maybe. And he, and he calls. <laughs> He calls his agent. Is like, you gotta get me out of here, bro. <laughs> this is terrible. And his agent Fuck. goes like, Nah, no, you gotta stick with it, dude. Look, apparently at the end of the at the end of the week, George Lucas he's famous for giving these gifts to the cast. So you you want to get this gift from George Lucas, right? Because it'll be worth it. Because fine. So he a, sticks out it's his a days. Cast in my dick. And um, <laughs> he gets this like box in his trailer from George, Ooh, and, he o- yeah. and he opens it. Oh, like an actual box. <laughs> and it's a child stencil set from <laughs> Phantom Menace. <laughs> <laughs> so you can like draw your own what? fucking Naboo stuff. <laughs> it sounds like it honestly it's sounds like throughout. Like, all right, so all right, this is a, this is a fucking hot take. Okay, George Lucas making the prequel trilogy is the same as Donald. Trump being the president of the United States right now. <laughs> yeah, oh because like I think it it sounds like from like both of stories, like these men, their brains are just being like eaten by fucking dementia. Like they're just slowly cooking it's in their own McDonald's. heads. It's just McDonald's. It's the McDonald's of culture. <laughs> and it's like all of these yes men around them just yeah. going like, yeah, that's a really yeah, fucking great. good idea. Yeah, yeah, great. yeah absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Once yes, he absolutely. leaves the room, we can do the real business yeah, shit. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Which is, that sounds like, like what George Lucas is to Star yeah. Wars. It feels yeah. like every George Lucas I- impact, his impact is always like something to mitigate against. Well, it's not something to fucking take on board. It's he, not like he has this creative genius. It's like he walks in the room well, he and everyone's Original like, universe, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, he's amazing. He's he done. created. He's fucking. He's just done. not a good director. He's Spielberg. So <laughs> yeah. like, he just walks in the room and everyone's like, "Oh fuck, here we go." And he's like, "What about if we?" <laughs> and then and then everyone's like, "Well, we fucking." He's worth like two. What about a talking racist rat? Billion fucking dollars, exactly. <laughs> so like, we, yeah, he, he's worth so much money. We have to take his opinion on board. But how do we now try and like damage control for what he just told us to do? How how did like no one just. Like look at the character Jar Jar Binks and just like, like maybe maybe even just like think to themselves like George this is insanely racist <laughs> yeah, yeah could you maybe like, just turn down fucking, <laughs> the fucking screen. Jamaican accent like I don't know if you really like yeah this is <laughs> this is hard colonialism yeah <laughs> super <laughs> hard colonialism George Ta- take a shot if you're listening to, if you're playing the B station drinking game right now I reckon they're probably all right they're probably fucked up by now. All right, time to launch into the news then. You ready, boys? Yes. Get get my sheet music up. Baseball. Very well done. Excellent. Extremely well done. Plus plus. Um bit of news here. We haven't actually recorded for quite a while. Peter Mayhew died since we last recorded. He's the guy who 
uh, played Chewbacca in every Star Wars movie oh, that that's he appeared right. in. Yeah, he was yeah. 74. Dude was like seven foot three or something. Uh, 2.2 meters. He apparently like studied the movement of animals at the zoo before he got the part. What do you mean animal mu- movement? He just fucking like yeah, walked around there. like Did a he, man. Were the animals <laughs> humans? Like a hairy man. Yeah. <laughs> Did he study Bavarians? Like, <laughs> oh, fuck. Here comes Peter. He's, he's doing that monkey walk again. I bet he didn't even bring his headphones this time. Um, I, um, Harrison Ford did a nice tribute to him because, of course, they were like castmates. Oh, yeah. um, is that in between like plane crashes? Because that dude is like... <laughs> that dude... <laughs> no, they... Sorry. Crash plane. What I mean is they found a black box recording. Harrison, <laughs> Harrison Ford talking, talking about Peter Mayhew. <laughs> Avengers Endgame is, of course, the film that we covered last week. As of today, as we record it, Avengers Endgame is officially the second highest grossing movie of all time, which beat Titanic's record. Titanic came out in 1997, and Endgame's already made more than 2.18 billion dollars. That's insane. Unadjusted for inflation. Interestingly, the number one spot is held by... Avatar, Avatar yes. which is also a James Cameron film. Thank, yeah. Speaking of which, uh, brand uh, next headline I have that'll be bulletin here is that the Disney's new Star Wars films have delayed the Avatar films. Disney has now announced that in alternating years, for the next like billion years, they're going to have alternating new Avatar, new Star Wars, new Avatar, new Star Wars, like between now and when we're 30. Yeah, this, no. this is the end of That's history. It. That's it. We're, we're done. <laughs> we, we've, reached the, yeah, we've reached the final, the so, final fucking iteration of the pattern. So it is an endless horizon of content yeah. ready for you. <laughs> S- fucking pigs. There was an AI that was just that was generating it, and it got stuck. This is this is what it's going to be until humanity's wiped out by climate change. the The year before the year when humanity becomes extinct, there will be a fucking Star Wars movie released. It's going to be like remember how good Avengers was, and that Star Wars movie will have bumped Avengers an Avatar fighting movie. climate there, change. There will be a Star Wars movie <laughs> released, and then the next year humanity will die. <laughs> like the next year, there's going to uh, be like yeah. At least we wouldn't have to put up with that. Avatar movie then. Watch First Reformed. Everyone needs <laughs> yeah, to watch First right Reformed. Right now. Right okay, fucking so now. Like a national emergency. How are these release dates for you, gents? Um, December 2021 will be Avatar 2. Avatar 3 comes out on December the 22nd, 2023. Avatar 4... Oh, they're lining them up with the years. Avatar cool. 4 is coming out on December the 19th, 2025. Fuck! <laughs> 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 and then Avatar... <laughs> <laughs> it's the fifth one that did it. <laughs> Avatar 5 is going to be coming out on December 17th, 2027. And okay. then in the alternating years, they've announced a new trilogy of Star Wars films. So... Um, 2020, uh, 2022, 2024, and 2026 oh, is going to be any Star Wars films. Oh, fuck. Didn't Avatar... What are you all doing like, on December the tw- 17th, 2027? So, when, did, when did the first... I hope I'm dead. I'm going to answer my question. When did the first... Yeah, you, you, you and every other millennial. I hope, I hope you'll be dead too. When did the first <laughs> Avatar come out? Uh, 2009? No, it was 2000 and... Yeah, 2009. Oh, shut up. It was up, fucking Oscar. 2009. <laughs> 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 Are you actually going to edit in the uh, John Cena theme? Uh, what do you mean? We just played it. Yeah. <laughs> probably. Um, yeah, it was 2009. You fucking... <laughs> yeah, probably. It's been literally 10 years. Who the fuck is asking for another Avatar? Wasn't it James, James fucking Cameron. Cameron is? Dude, fuck. So that's it's the made thing, like, 2.8 
billion dollars. No, I know, but it's been ten yeah. years. The only reason it made two point eight billion dollars is because he made every single fucking dipshit pay like forty dollars for a three D ticket. He's the most bankable director on the planet. The top two grossing movies of all time. But he could put his name on genuinely fucking anything. Why are the top four two grossing films, films of all time are five billion dollars made by James Cameron. James Cameron has an idea, you say, no worries, boss, here's a yeah, billion dollars. We'll it's double just, our money. Just like making the most fucking sterile, disgustingly applicable films that they possibly can. <laughs> Speaking of disgusting, how's this? Mel Gibson to star as Santa Claus in new comedy called Fat Man. Scheduled to film Okay. In- whatever. <laughs> sure. Scheduled to film in 2020, Fat Man is the story of Scheduled a 12 film. A- so it's the Santa Claus basically. It's a 12-year-old who hires a hitman to kill Santa after receiving a love of coal in his stocking. Mel Gibson is playing Santa as a rowdy unorthodox Santa Claus fighting his business. So it's business bad to- Santa meets yeah. the Santa Claus. Did you say yeah. scheduled to film in 2020? Yes, boss. Why are we hearing about this now? This is breaking news, well, it's baby. Next year, dude. Yeah, fuck me, right? <laughs> yeah, no, you're not I, wrong about yeah. that. I know. Yeah, it sounds shit. like it's in the future. We're and, in 2019. Like, okay. it is, um, this is a the next story. I genuinely is <laughs> thought it was two years ahead. <laughs> fuck. <laughs> what do you think it is? We're the, gonna die soon. Yeah, man. Yeah, the, man. The next story yeah. is not a Game of Thrones spoiler. It's just related to Game of Thrones. Boo. So don't tune <laughs> out. Um, so <laughs> in episode four of the newest season of Game of Thrones, which is season eight, uh, there is a coffee cup that's been left on yes, the table. Yes, I in saw shot. that. <laughs> it's like. Here's a fucking hot take. That's an ad. Do you reckon? <laughs> no, it's, it's been, not. Every single fucking post I've seen has labeled it a Starbucks cup. It's not a cup. Starbucks cup. But that's what they've been fucking no, saying. No, it is a Starbucks people cup. people are stupid. It, apparently it is a Starbucks cup. No, it is a Starbucks cup. cup. It's not. Look at the fucking logo on it, dude. Oh, they, no, they've edited it out. So in, on streaming, they've now edited the cup out. I'm, okay. I'm Googling you out of spite. It, every article I saw said Starbucks cup in Game okay, of fine. Thrones. This also says that. I just saw, fucking I saw, yes. I saw one tweet and I trusted him. My fucking <laughs> conspiracy brain is lighting the fuck up right now this is an ad yeah, you're bad they, about that, they yeah. don't give a fucking shit about this <laughs> well, show anymore so just well, I mean, yeah. every episode costs like millions of dollars to make and somehow they're left that's a what fucking- I mean like I just don't think this happens man like this made it through the editing suite like exactly you think about Avengers yeah, Avengers too, Endgame was cynical, like the budget no was like that. Avengers Endgame the budget was like 250 million dollars yeah. you quantify that to like there's not even 200 yeah 250 minutes in the movie that's over a million dollars a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just so like, I don't think an an editing suite the size of the one that works on Game of Thrones absolutely lets a fucking yes. coffee cup through in this scene. But no, also I they agree. have enough, mo- they have enough money. You're too cynical. No one's like, oh, let's let's do fucking star- let's leave a Starbucks cup in. I'm like, taking no, the, I don't I'm so. taking the black pill with Andrew. I'm, I'm, fucking, I'm in on it, man. Yeah, let's let's fucking kill ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> Next up, we'll be discussing whether or not making Sonic look fucked for the Sonic movie was an intentional design choice oh, or not. Oh, true. <laughs> that's like no, that's a whole other yes. conspiracy. Absolutely, theory. Okay. absolutely. Because people, are, okay, my, yes, my, my final, yes, I agree with that. My final <laughs> story is also Sonic related, so we can just keep going with this. Fuck so the, yeah. the theory is, so <laughs> the next the next use has been expecting that to get the crowd response. <laughs> <laughs> The next news headline I've got is that people are saying that the new Sonic trailer that came out, Sonic looks so fucked that the director came yeah. out and said, no, you're right, he looks fucked, we've heard yeah, we're you, fixing it. we're going to change it. But it's coming out in like 
eight months. Yeah. So they're going to redo all the animation in eight months. Do so right? it's yeah, like, but yeah, either so A, he's going to work his animators to the bone, which obviously isn't going to happen in Hollywood. <laughs> or B, they've just deliberately given them like a fucked yeah. tr- version of yes. Sonic for the trailer and they already have a good version that's going to be coming out. Yeah, how do you press a big red button that says fix Sonic? <laughs> like, that's literally insane. Just, literally that's just take out the human teeth that he has and, and replace it with anything. And well, like, this is, this, so this is an animated feature as well. Like, it's, an, it's a CGI character. It's a CGI character. Um, we haven't not, talked about this, it since it came out it's on not the podcast. This, it's not the same <laughs> as... Okay, yeah, well, I think we're getting into it now, yeah. right? Um, it's not the same as like do like Christopher Plummer replacing Kevin Spacey on all the money in the world. Yeah. Because like Sonic didn't get me tooed. Like yeah. nothing nothing ex- like, bad has happened. But but I think yeah, I agree with you. I think they they knew this was gonna be a provocation for the fan base who are already extremely obsessed with Sonic yeah. and the design of Sonic as well. Um, People like are Chris Chan, piss, have though, you heard like, of Chris Chan? Yes, I have. Yes. So okay. So like, like <laughs> just Google it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not, not getting into it. Go into it. <laughs> yeah. Just Google it. But there are there are like there careful. are a lot of people on the internet who are very very obsessed with. The design Sonic. of Sonic and, yes. and Sonic. Yes. I think people are just taking the. I think most people are just taking the piss, and the director's like, "Oh, what's going on?" No, man. no, dude. People are, <laughs> people are memeing this director pretty hard. I think you 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 generally underestimate the amount of like decision making that goes into the movies that <laughs> get made. Like, yeah, I feel like I don't drink the Kool Aid enough, and you've got it in a fucking Camelback and an IV. I, I do. Trip. I'm sipping on it right now, and I'm hoping <laughs> I die because dude, Matrix, the was Sonic Sonic docker, <laughs> Matrix was a fucking docker, dude. Matrix was a docker. How good's Docker? <laughs> Seriously. Hey. Uh, these movies are put out by major enough production studios that have producers <laughs> breathing down every single person's neck yes. that I just think that the, every decision is scrutinized in so many ways. Well, and, and PR, PR and advertising in this era specializes in provocation. Absolutely. So Absolutely. like the, the Gillette Outrage tactics are huge Outrage because you get people talking about your brand And yep. that's what they want in the end That's this is the end This is neoliberalism This is the, the rest of our future This is, this what is you the asked end of history for. Yes, this is this what you is asked you for you getting it <laughs> So yeah, I, every smart PR firm specializes in provocation yep. And in flaming the culture war Well like yep. Netflix Netflix famously has their own division That make memes about Netflix shows Yes yeah. Yeah. Like the um, I'll suck, my, I'll suck a dick to get the water From Fire <laughs> Festival That was like a Netflix <laughs> meme uh, production house oh like shit sketch screenshots and shit um, okay I got a couple of trailers to round it out so obviously that Sonic trailer came out uh, in the last couple of weeks Jim Carrey looks fucking wild in it man he looks like old school Jim Carrey yeah, like yeah liar, he does yeah. liar it's, liar it's fucking li- go on Jim I gotta say man just it's you'll great. never hear me say it again but Tom Shadyac genius Can, what, <laughs> what, what was that sorry <laughs> I'm not saying it again. <laughs> and, Jim, and Jim Carrey under his artistic direction, perfection. Like I just can't wait till he gets back to making bad paintings again. How about you boys? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I good just shit. Jim Carrey's a bit he's a bit too the mind unleashed right now. <laughs> like it it kinda sounds like the only pages that he follows on Facebook is yeah, like the you know, mind the mind unleashed you and know like any vaccine now. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> like when he all that footage of him like on the red carpet and he's like, Oh, I don't identify as a person anymore. Uh, did you see that one? He's got that, <laughs> nah. he's got that he's got that huge like David Letterman beard. He's gone full Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> yeah, he went. Yeah, he went fucking wild. He looks like, he's, he, went he, looks like he hasn't talked to anyone in about eight to 
10 years. He looks like he's wiping his ass with the original like draft <laughs> of the Ace Ventures <laughs> yeah, in yeah, the woods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to the Sonic movie. Yes, me too. Nah, uh, unironically. Nah. Um, <laughs> oh, honestly, what the fuck? Like Sonic, it's like a nah, game I've played crazy. probably a cumulative like two hours of. Get out of this podcast. <laughs> How why dare do people, you? Why do people feel so strongly about Sonic? Sonic's fucking Sonic and, crazy. Sonic and Tetris are like equal in my mind. The, 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 what the things, fuck? They're things that have always been in the background of my life, but that I have never actively pursued or given a shit about. Okay. I would and, watch yeah. a Tetris people, yeah. people will devote their entire life to them. I feel like Sonic to our generation was a flash game. What if Tetris yes. was real yes. life? Sonic was a flash game yes. to us. And it, it's this weird, it's this weird like millennial that we're not a part of that values Sonic so it's like, fucking much. It's millennials who are like five years old. Millennials with a Dreamcast. Millennials that owned a Dreamcast. Yeah, yeah. Is, is like the people that fucking care about this shit. That are like yeah. private messaging the director being like, you've ruined, <laughs> you've ruined my life. I'm g- <laughs> I know where you live. Yeah, I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a couple other trailers that have come out this week. The new Spider-Man trailer got dropped. Wow, really? Yeah. Oh, I'm so that that, got, oh, that got absolutely eclipsed by Pro Jared. I didn't see fucking anything. <laughs> Don't stop, Pro Jared. I can't, oh, I, can't, I, can't, I can't, but like, I didn't, I genuinely didn't know these, that until you just told these me. Twitter okay, boys I've right, been so on Twitter Jake, all week. Jake Gyllenhaal is playing Mysterio and the, the, oh, yeah, the, like, yeah, the producer right. and the director of are like, no, he's the good guy. I probably, he's the, he is the good guy no, though. No, he's not. Mysterio's the good guy. Yeah. And everyone's like, right, well, obviously, no one would triple down <laughs> unless, like, um, I mean, Jake Gyllenhaal, very interesting cast for Mysterio. Yeah, I'm interested Imagine to see what they Spider-Man do. Spider Man, the bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, um, so this one's honestly, like, fu- cool. no, I mean, Tom Holland, yeah, not a fan. Nah. I, no, I think that I think Spider Man Homecoming was great. It was, I think co- it was, it was really good. good. Uh, Spider Man Two. Best superhero movie of all time. Okay, you're never gonna convince me otherwise. Yeah, so. Spider Man Three, though. So, you know. Huh? <laughs> um, no, I think Spider Man Homecoming was really good. Uh-oh. I thought yeah, it, it captured. Good, yeah. I thought it captured the idea of ta- Spider Man just as some fucking kid yes. who has these yeah. dumb kid problems that In conflict head. with saving the yeah. world problems. Like, so where the Tobey Maguire films didn't really get that. Yeah. Because like you know he just wants to take, take the hot girl to the formal. Yeah. But he also has to save the city, and he's like, yeah, but I kind of just want to bone the hot girl. Um, <laughs> and I think it's funny that like Spider-Man because that's the whole point is that he's supposed to be a kid yeah, that's trying to a, grow up yeah he's a teenager and, yeah like, yeah I feel like the Tobey Maguire films didn't really get that so I, I'm excited for this new film that's the trailer for Michael that Michael Keaton fucking slapped in that film as, as well by the way yeah he, he was, was really good uh, John Wick 3 in Spider-Man is, 2 is coming out real soon no in um, Homecoming Homecoming yeah. uh, so you gotta watch it you gotta, it's, good. So, it's, it's good. a really good you movie. would enjoy it um, okay. John, right. John Wick 3 is coming out at the end of the month new trailers for that looks very exciting yeah 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 And finally, Damon Lindelof, who is famous for doing Lost, uh, also wrote Prometheus and a couple of other films that came out recently. He is doing an HBO series adaption of Watchmen as a TV series. That is cool. And there's a trailer that's out. Big fan of Watchmen. No, fucking uh, like, all right, hot take. Um, the Watchmen, but it's not like the Watchmen. It's not like the a direct X-Men. like the Watchmen. <laughs> it's the not Watchmen. like a direct scene to scene. It's like an, an in- inspired by the Watchmen universe okay. kind of thing. What's your hot take, Patty? Um, you know, Patty, I think we've had a one too many hot takes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but it just it just seems like, especially with a lot of major studios um, nowadays, 
uh, they're doing remakes of adaptations. Yeah. Now. So like Hellboy. Fuck. Hellboy. We haven't watched it, but Jesus Christ. Apparently I'm, that's I'm interested. I'm apparently interested. Apparently like, it's terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, yeah. it's it's like the gritty reboot. Like, honestly, the gritty reboot is the worst thing that happened to cinema in like <laughs> the last fucking uh, 20 years. It's definitely wash done your, more damage than Wash your done. mouth out with <laughs> soap. It's like, I think Dark Knight the, fucked everyone up because yeah. Dark Knight was great. But it's and a bar that you can't reach. Was, exactly. Everyone was like, no, we can... Yeah, this works. This formula works. Let's do that to what Spider-Man. Other, what other gritty reboots have we had that they fucked it up? It was the fact that you had Nolan behind it. You had yes. Bale doing the main character. Yeah, you yeah. have a legitimately good director. Exactly. Yeah, Fucking the, the, yeah the, the Joker played by Heath Ledger, that's a character you well, can't get back. Like You guys yeah. are just saying the bad movies are bad. I think the gritty reboot no, is a great uh, idea. The, the, the gritty reboot, it's not a bad idea. It needs to be done well, though. Exactly. Yeah, well, that's the same of any movie. The fact that the fact that it's gritty and the fact that it's grimdark and the fact that it has an edgy main character doesn't make it good. It it, it just it gives you a a, a different platform. Yeah, but in it, the first place, it's an interesting idea for a different take on a story, though. It can be. It, yeah. it gives you a, a petri dish. It gives you a platform, but I don't think it it gives your movie some inherent like quality or or, or claim to quality. Yeah, I think. I yeah, think I don't what think Andrew's kind of. I don't of, think you're blowing anyone's mind by saying that. No, I think what what Andrew's getting at though is that like there was like definitely a consensus among Hollywood producers that like gritty reboots are what we need, and that's yeah. not what everyone needs, right? Would you agree with that? I think it's a cool idea for a film because we've had like shitloads of... So I feel like all you're saying is that the, <laughs> the big Hollywood machine can churn out shit, bland, vanilla movies and all you're saying is that the big Hollywood machine t- t- churns out vanilla movies. I'm like, yeah, I agree with you. I don't think they make good movies. But the Grimdark reboot is Hollywood's version of... Alternative kind of thing. Yeah. yeah no, so okay, they're fine. saying like... Here's here's us being different, and it's like, well, actually, it's that ain't right. Shit. Okay, now so just doing that doesn't make you different. You've actually, yeah, yeah okay, fine, yeah, sure. <laughs> Why didn't you just say that at first? <laughs> I, and I, I formally apologize. I'm ready for this conversation yeah, exactly. to be over. They, 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 I've got listener commentary for this segment. Hold on, let me just <laughs> turn that on. <laughs> <laughs> can we can we talk about a legitimately good film now? Because I'm sick of this weeb shit. <laughs> Alright, so the movie we watched is Burning. Who has the Wikipedia page out that can tell me who directed Lee. it? Lee Changdong. Is the director of Burning? Lee Changdong. Right, yeah, okay. I, I think like we normally try to avoid this, but we are going to absolutely fucking butcher every single yeah. person's name in this. They're, <laughs> they're <laughs> yeah. all Sorry. Koreans, so like, Sorry. fuck us, right? We got our, <laughs> well, and the other thing as well is like... We I got our resident do... country boy on the on the pod to go, it's oh, Lee Changdong. <laughs> Lee Changdong, mate. So this is a film set in Seoul. In the modern day in South Korea, yeah. it stars uh, a Korean guy who plays like a <laughs> farmer. So his, kind na- of, yep. so his name is Yu I In. What's the name of the main character? Lee Jong Soo. Oh, oh, yes. That's the name yeah, of the yeah, main yeah, character. Jong Soo, yeah. Yes. So, um, this, so, this, so the main character is Jong Soo. He's like this, um, he lives with his dad in a kind of a regional farm kind of area just on the outskirts of Seoul. Um, his dad's now in prison, so he's kind of all by himself. He meets up just randomly with some girl he used to go to high school with. Mm. Played by Jeon Jong-seo. Yep. They develop a relationship and the whole film is kind of about their relationship, them as people, and then this third person they meet played by... Steven Yeun. Steven Yeun from The Walking Dead. (laughs) Who I'll say, okay, I reckon it's... He's on the way up, dude. In my tier list, Steven Yeun 
Like maybe number two, <laughs> right? Like fucking hell, he's got like a really good performance movie. in him coming up. That's like probably going to be Oscar worthy. I'm not really sure what's going on, but my brain just gives me dopamine yeah. when I look at him, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm absolutely in love with Steven Yeun. So the main vibe of this movie is that Jong Soo meets up with his old uh, high school acquaintance, and they become like. So her name is Haimi as well. Haimi, right? So um, Jong Soo and Haimi develop this kind of boyfriend girlfriend kind of relationship. She then goes but on. But it's this it's. Also, kind of not. Yeah. So he he he's the the setup is he's walking past a shop and in Korea, South Korea. This is this is all South Korea. They have like like women dancing outside the shop to yeah. like draw people in. Yeah. He is walking past the shop and and one of the one of the women recognizes. And she's him. one of these dancing girls. Yeah. At Haymi, you said. Yeah. Haymi. Hey yeah. And she's like, ah, oh, Jong Soo, you should join this lottery. And he like he's like, oh, okay. And then he joins the lottery and, and he whatever. wins like a fucking pink G-Shock. He wins, he wins, a, he wins a pink G-Shock and she's like, man, I'd love a pink G-Shock. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so they, they grew up together and he and, and she kind of like reconnects with him on a like a childhood coming of age level. Yeah. yeah. And so the film then sort of takes a turn when she goes off on this sort of world trip to Africa or Europe or whatever, it doesn't really matter, and comes back and she's now she's now developed this relationship with like the only other Korean guy who she met on this trip. Well, she didn't um, even, didn't she meet him at the airport? She didn't Yeah. yeah. Because they were locked down for like 3 days. So whatever situation means that they they met on this trip, she comes back and now she's suddenly really close with this new dude, Steven Yuen. Yeah. And he's kind of acting like a real player and and like the rest of the film is kind of like Jong Soo being kind of uneasy about how his who he thought is his girl Haimin, uh, Haimi sorry is is sort of buddied up and now is now like the new squeeze of this Steven Yuen guy who's giving him these weird creepy vibes. Yeah, because like the film and follows, that's the whole film. I, I'm, it I'm sort of gets creepier <laughs> and creepier as it goes on. The film follows Jong Soo basically the whole way through, so we're never given. I, I don't. I think this is fair to say that we're never given a perspective that's not Jong Soo. That's probably fair. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, like yeah, definitely. What what's what's really at the start? Uh, maybe in the first third of the film, while this dynamic is still being established, what mm-hmm. what is really going on is that we are experiencing Jong Soo's emotional response yep. to Hamy leaving for two weeks, him barely being able to talk to her. Um, and then her coming back and bringing this fucking completely unexpected presence in the form of Steven Yeun's character. Yep. Um, and him trying to figure out what the fuck is going on yeah. because he's obviously very into Hamey and, and she's spending more time with Ben, Steven, ben with Ben. And m- most of the rest of the time that he's in the film is him third wheeling Hamey and Ben. Yeah. Well, I don't know what you got from this, Pat, but I got a lot of like I- themes of like isolation. So, if you know what I mean? Um... Ye- no, absolutely, and that's absolutely. a lot of what you get um, with all the characters. You just accidentally yeah. said yeet, <laughs> yeet, yeet. <laughs> Shout out, Gina. Um, <laughs> I was, I was gonna say, um, at at the point that Ben Stephen Yoon's character is introduced into the film, is the point I left to go to the bathroom. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> no, and I was like, so I'm like, I'm like an incredibly like, uh, you know. I love watching films, seeing, you know, going, having a film experience, but I just can't fucking sit in my seat. I need to go out and buy a chalk top. Or I, I need think to go out and you like, exit films God to just damn. go fuck around with a foyer more than I'm anyone like, hey. else I've ever met. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't know what it is, dude. I just like, I can't it's sit still. It's what I need it is. to fucking check my Facebook. You two combined <laughs> are my cinema partner hell. Like, you, you two combined <laughs> well, my, do this wrong in the my cinema? personal, your opinions. All right. My... <laughs> 
My opinions are perfect, right? Yeah, but he's only got opinions on half the fucking movie. That's worse. You're my personal demon. I, and I was thinking as well, I was like, this film is really engrossing. This was like in the first 20 minutes. I'm going to go and I was like, pee in a white No, bowl. and I was like, I have to fucking piss. Like, so what am I... <laughs> I want some cattle chili and I, like, chips. I run out. I you run know what out. I want? I an espresso martini. I, <laughs> I fucking did this. I did this in Avengers Endgame as well. Anyone else want a kebab? I'm going to duck out for <laughs> half an hour. Anyway, anyway, so I, I go um, like, I go to the bathroom. I come back. Fuck and me. then I'm like sitting there and like <laughs> Jong Su's <laughs> like... Fucking sitting. Like, who the fuck is that guy? Yeah, yeah. John, John, so, so John is like pulling a knife out of a safe. No, and like what the fuck so, is going on? Yeah. So I come back from the bathroom. I sit down, and, and it's, it's like it's so the first, the first, the first twenty minutes. The first twenty minutes is like is John Sue and Hamey, um like developing their relationship <laughs> and then I go away and I come back and it's Jong Su, Hamey and just this other fucking random dude <laughs> like sitting down <laughs> together and I'm like I'm like desperately trying to figure out what the fuck is happening <laughs> like, you've come back you've gone and Jong Su and like, Hamey is he her brother what the fuck like, he's got his girl he's got it all figured out she's going to trip comes back Jong Su's been cucked by some dude named Ben yeah literally <laughs> literally so like I, I literally had to like I was singing with my housemate and I had to like pull my jacket up, like go into the wick, go into the <laughs> Wikipedia page and start oh, reading the like no. summary so I could catch up to like where where <laughs> the movie was. If I were was. the director of this film and I heard <laughs> and I heard that someone had to do that, I would I would kill myself. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I knew about this movie going in was that someone was like, "Look out for the symbolism." There's some. Uh, oh, there's, said that? There's some now, symbols in this. Movie. Was it just on the internet? <laughs> I'm going to give you. <laughs> One guess at who told him to look for metaphors in this movie. Which is the idea of like, hey, do you know do you know what a simile is? There are some similes in this movie. And because hopefully friend of the show, but I don't think friend of the show, but also listen to the show, Leighton. Leighton Oh Leighton told me that it was a strongly metaphorical film and that I should keep my eyes open <laughs> for Yeah. Motifs and metaphors before well, I went in. So that's what I got. It's mostly just the theme of isolation. So there's like all the characters are like alone. Okay. Yeah. And like there's there's that whole story he keeps retelling about Hamy being stuck down a well oh. in her childhood. Oh, Fuck, incredible. Um, and then like his face being the only thing she sees is like the light at the end of a tunnel. And there's all these fucking little stories he has like that, and all these shots that show all these characters alone, mm. either emotionally or physically. Um, Jong Su being cut out once Ben comes into the equation, and Hey Me and Ben are just hanging out together. So, and of course, the final act of the movie where they really are. So, like, yeah. Uh, right. I'm just. Can I go off? A yes. Little bit? No, go off. Can I go off? Do go I have permission off to go off? And I will label yeah. you a king. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is like an incredibly political film. Oh, what you tricked me! And I think a lot of it centers around metropolitan isolation and anxiety. Absolutely. Well. Yeah. Absolutely. So like, Jong Su is living alone at a farm where his father has gone to prison, so he's looking after the farm. It's sort of like pre-gentrified yeah. agricultural and, and, and look, land, it, it, right? it gives him background as well that he's been to university, he's back. Like, I, I've, lived, I've lived a very similar story where I moved to Sydney when I was 18. I was... Uh, I went to uni for a year and then I came back. Like I couldn't, I couldn't live in Sydney. I couldn't afford it. Yeah, you and um, fucking most people yeah, from Sydney. He, Sydney sucks. Fuck Sydney. Yeah, um, fuck Sydney. <laughs> and 
<laughs> I, I did really like identify with a lot of what Jong Su's going through in this film. Yeah. yeah. Um, where he, I think maybe he feels like he is owed something from his time at university and he's, he's owed something. Yeah. And also he is, he is, on the periphery of fucking everything in this film. Yeah, like yeah. he's even got he's even he's not even dressed like yeah, anyone else. No, he's got yeah. this shitty fucking van he drives yeah. around. Yeah. Which so, which was his father's vehicle that he yeah. inherited. Like, like everything yeah. about every character just shows how alone they are. Yeah. Even just like his rusted up fucking flatbed but truck I, he drives around. I think you guys are hitting He lives on, on a farm I in the middle of nowhere. You guys are hitting on an extremely similar theme, which yeah, is like the, the we're, I'm, I'm gonna, we're agreeing. I'm mate. gonna use periphery because I, yeah. I think that exemplifies it. <laughs> Pretty pretty well, yeah. But and also because it's a bigger word than alone, which is what no, I no, said. No, <laughs> no, no, no. I, no but I agree. I think being, I think that uh, being on the periphery is a really great way to summarize a lot of Jong Su's experience in mm. this film. But I think that he finds being on the periphery of what he's observing to be extremely isolating, yeah. and that's where that yeah. feeling of loneliness and isolation. I think also. that's like that's primarily what this film is about as well. And and that's the one thing that I wish I did more reading on before I sat down with you guys to talk about this is like South, South Korean politics. Just a light yeah, entry just, point. Just, just have yeah. a crack, man. Go no, on. No, no, no. I'm not going to talk about South Korean politics because I don't know enough about it. But <laughs> I, I think I think it's making, a, it's making a pretty broad statement about like, again, metropolitan isolation in general and the isolation that people feel when they live in cities and, and they... Uh, yeah, they're, they're developing networks of friendships and stuff with people, but they still feel weirdly isolated because they go back to their apartment and they're living by themselves. And that's what John, John Su is doing in this movie. That scene, there are a bunch of scenes in this movie that are incredibly evocative as well. Um, the one, the, the scene where he's asleep on the couch and he wakes up to a phone call and he picks it up and there's no one on the end of the line and it's like right at dusk and it's just like, Fuck! I've been there. I've like just I've been asleep at that weird part of the day. Yeah, it, yeah. It's like oh. society is like buzzing him and waking him and breaking him out of his bubble, and still he can't be a part of it because still yeah. the voice on the other end of the phone—that's his connection to society—says nothing. It doesn't. Well, give the, him thing, yeah. the thing that's activated his sense of needing to be a part of society yeah. is actually completely hollow and non-existent. Yeah, like the fact that he's been called. Oh. Is 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 a completely hollow action because when he finally makes that step to answer the call and connect with the society that he feels left from, it's yeah. fucking empty. I think so. He he he's just completely once again yeah. disenfranchised from it. Yeah. Even though he is making attempts to integrate with that society, and and that culminates in him finally asking. Why you would call and have nothing to say. Yeah. yeah. I think that the idea of solitude that all the characters seem to be going through in the film mm. kind of reminds me of um, the modern kind of millennial relationship with technology yes. and how we use technology to communicate. Even that's not, it's not really directly touched on in the film other than there's an elderly character that he interacts with later and like she's always on her phone so that it was interesting that like the only character in yeah, the film that's that always was on her phone strong yeah man. but like yeah, oh, it was, it, yeah, so yeah it, spoilers right but it, it just kind of reminds me of like the whole thing where we all have contact with everyone that we possibly could I just really relate to the sense of solitude that you get from like you have this fucking phone in front of you that can connect you to everyone you want but somehow you're so isolated because you're sitting in your room alone with your phone yeah. Yeah. you've got all these chats and somehow that's a substitute for human interaction but it's just not so that's that's one one of the big things again 
why I empathize with Jong Su so much in this film. Again, yeah. So as I was talking about before, when I was 18, I moved to Sydney and I was going to university, didn't know anyone. Because you were from a country town as well. Yeah, right? I, was, I was, yeah, from Goulburn. So like small country town, move into Sydney, don't know anyone, don't really have any networks that I connect with. I was living by myself. No 3G So Sydney, like yeah. I, all I did was like, I lived in this empty house by myself. I would go to university. I would come home and I didn't have, I, I had like barely any friends and like, yeah, I just, I started like going into like really toxic mindsets and places as well. And I started developing like mental, like anxiety and stuff like yeah. that. And like, that is so fucking typical of our particular moment in time, yep. especially for people, young people living in city, cities, feeling so alienated from everyone else and feeling again, like they're on the periphery of something bigger and something better. And I think Ben... In this Which movie, you, by the way, you've been sold the success of being at the center of whatever that is that you're looking at but you're by the, the previous outside. generation. You're on the periphery, and it's a fucking farce whether or not you'll be able to get into it or not. Because yeah. Yeah. that's borderline luck, borderline like being born into the right family setting yeah. or whatever the fuck. Yeah. So, um, and all of the characters that you're introduced to at the start of this film, the first half hour or so, so Lee Jong Soo <laughs> and Shin Hae the, the half hour that I allegedly missed, okay? Um, they're incredibly... Don't bother about the 32nd minute of the film. It's not that important. I think they were like... So, the, the, these are incredibly isolated and alone characters. Absolutely. Yeah. And and you just see how... She lives how in this little shoebox with a, she lives a view in a to nowhere. He lives on a farm outside the fucking city and he's yeah. with no one. Yeah. And he's alienated from his neighbours as just, well. Just for, for, for five seconds, by the way, I'd love to delve into how much the farm doesn't feel like a farm. Mm. It's like one cow in a shack. Felt It felt very like very homely as soon as he walked in the door it's like there are um he walks into this door of like what's basically just a normal house but it happens to be on a property which yeah I, I would guess is probably fairly common in south korea and he gets inside and it this place is fucking filled to the brim of books none of which There's is his either fu- it's, uh, w- it's w- all when, his when we shit. say farm i think we think like Red Barn That is not what This fucking thing is This no. is like This is closer to what You would experience As like a rundown coast house Yeah Where they're like about to say Right You both said Yeah, yeah. pretty emphatically I, th- <laughs> I, th- I think I did good I think I think what we got Is more of a Go off yeah. king No like th- There's there's a bookshelf Full of books That <laughs> you're probably say. Never gonna fucking read There's yeah. like A loud clock There's mm. heaps of Fucking family photos And there's a computer There like He, he is at home Sleeping on the couch Of this place mm-hmm. It's a farm, yes, technically, but I don't think he's interacting with it in the sense that his... Because uh, his father is a figure that wasn't... Uh, he's not a farmer in his in his kind of like South Korean identity mm. either. Yeah. And so I think there's an interesting point to be made there of like the fact that he's going home to this, quote, farm, end quote, which has literally one cow that gets sold yeah. halfway through the film yeah. that is, yes, in location, completely different, isolated from the main city where the rest of the story takes place, but in its function is not agricultural in any sense. And in fact is never used for positive growth, yeah. which is only used for... It's, it's tethered to a past. Uh, yes. Yeah, and, and tethered to... And in fact is used as a, obsolete. As a base mm. for burning greenhouses, um. right? Even if... Jong-Soo's father's farm is like a hark back to that agricultural era of like um, kind of 
pre-millennial productivity. Mm-hmm. Jong-soo occupies that space but isn't able to occupy that role. Well, it's also not really his space. It feels exactly. like the whole place is full of stuff that's just his dad's and none of it's really his. Yep. He's sleeping on the couch. Oh, like it's, it's just like, it's so fucking resonant, I think, as well. It's not, it's not a specifically Korean thing. I think that's fairly universal in like a lot of developed Western countries. Yeah. Um, the obso- the obsolescence of like agricultural spaces. Yeah. So like, um, Would you say because like, like I grew up on a farm, and even though I grew up on a farm, I didn't feel like um, like I was super disconnected from the city. If that makes sense, yeah. it felt like I was living on the outside of a city. Not that I was living on a farm. Was living yeah. like I was living outside of a city. Yeah. So what do you what do you think about the idea that he's even separated from society and the way he sees himself? He's seen himself as having this role in society as an artist and as a creative writer. Yeah. And he always talks about how he wants to be a creative writer and he never is. He's always stuck, like looking never after writing. his family's farm. Yeah. Stuck on the outskirts of society. People are always talking about like, oh, what do you do? And he says, oh, I'm a writer. But he's not mm. really. He's not doing what he wants to do because he's stuck living someone else's life. And I thought it was this whole other sense of isolation mm. that really sort of rounds the film out a bit. Yeah. Absolutely um, disgusted at the role of a character that spends a lot of time deliberating about wanting to pursue a career. He, he, is, without actually he is very proof rock. Fucking attacked. But but also as well, like I think that's that's another point about this film is that it definitely kind of typifies the millennial struggle. I suppose that's what I was trying to get at with the technological thing as yeah. well. The idea of like being held back by your image of what your parents see as like what our place in the world yeah. should be and all that sort of thing that's I think by the way a lot I, I, I really don't know what I'm talking about but um, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I think that's podcast? but I think a lot worse in Korea South Korea especially uh, yeah again why I wanted to read up more on yeah. South Korean politics yeah. but I know I like, like a couple of right. friends <laughs> who are South Korean like th- their families moved over and, uh-huh. and they grew up here. I would love to fucking hear what their opinions on this <laughs> this this film and also like the, well the, the main character having grown up as a South Korean. Anyone else got so, any information they don't have they want to talk about? Yes. Um, <laughs> so that's an interesting bit of information to not have. <laughs> I agree with you. I think I've I identified would love to have that information. I've identified an interesting bit of information <laughs> that we don't have. So so another interesting point about this film that I'm gonna talk out of my ass about. Yep. Fuck yeah. So it's it's a very class conscious film and it's class cl- class anxious I would say yes I would agree in the dynamic between Jong Soo well, and Ben, ben. all I three feel. different characters are all compl- like different socioeconomic classes uh, yes yeah you're but like you're, Ben you're right. is like terrifically wealthy yeah Amy somewhere in the middle and Jong Soo stuck out in some fucking farm I, I yeah. felt like it was it was interesting because at one point Jong Soo goes and pays Amy's family for a meal yeah. And I I felt like that sort of hierarchized them almost, where it was like Hamie's family was on the bottom, when in actual fact Hamie socially feels closer to Ben. Well, they own yeah. a restaurant, I assume. Ben's obviously, but yeah, but they don't. But he pays them for their service, and it just made it. I think that puts them in a subordinate role. Yeah. So like, oh, no, I I kind of felt like he right. felt out of place there. Like he didn't feel like he was probably connected enough socially, with them. Socially, yes. Gangnam Style. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! So. This is yeah. the gritty reboot of Gangnam Style. Oh, fuck. No, but like Gangnam Style. We're here, boys. Gangnam Style is a song. <laughs> this is the top of the mountain. Um, Gangnam Style is a song about class. Sai was saying Gangnam is the, the rich people area the, of Seoul. Of Seoul, yeah. yeah. And at, he, it's kind of a diss, I think, of that 
um, that particular area of Seoul. I think it's he's kind of he's sort of tongue in cheek, being it's, like, it's "Oh, tongue, you play yeah, like your fucking Gangnam and all that." Yeah, Gangnam Style. Yeah. Um, We're like properly analyzing. Um, yeah, this this. But wait, that's I, what I, I'm, so so I'm trying to. Neither of us have seen Burning. <laughs> 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 no, no. So I I think it, it's just interesting that like these are two big cultural artifacts from South Korea within a similar time frame. Yeah, that would point okay. to the the thread that maybe class status is something that people there are maybe thinking about a lot and maybe anxious about. So, and, and I think that's partly what this film is about as well. Comparing, um, comparing Ben, uh, to the Gatsby. Yeah. In the literary sense. That was really cool. Absolutely. People that, people that are just there and present and young and rich. That's a comparison made in the movie. That's yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> just to be clear, this isn't going to be insightful. Oh, that's no, I just meant like it's yes. a, yeah. yeah. This isn't our analysis. There's a bit in the movie where the character says like he's like the Great Gatsby, and then <laughs> I'm editing all yes. of that out. But like, <laughs> so just to be clear, this happened in the yeah. movie. That wasn't you. <laughs> that was written in. <laughs> what were we talking Dad, I'll about? I don't think about him taking the, taking his place in the circle of life, man. Ben Rafiki said that. That's got nothing to do with you. Ben, ben, ben as a Gatsby figure, which obviously is explicitly referred to multiple times in the film's script. Oh, my God. Was, was, was really interesting uh, because I feel like... I thought it was more interesting the first time I, I heard think, it. Shut the fuck up. I feel like there's this figure of um, millennials that... Uh, there's, there's this sensation of, at least that comes out of this, this middle-class millennialism here where you, you look at... Um, you look at millennials in the upper class and yeah. like, how the fuck did that happen to you? Yeah. And I feel like Jong Soo looks at Ben and he's like, you, you know, he says at one point in this film, like there's these rich young men and you have no idea what they do or who they are, but they they have more money than you will ever know. And they live a different life. Mm. And, and that I, I really felt a strong association with that. Just this, this yeah. idea of like this kind of this, financial strength of these people your age coming out and yep. thinking like oh, you can't possibly absolutely. have earned that yes. so like that just was bestowed upon you for me personally that was incorporated into the background noise of ben's character yeah he, he was he's someone who didn't earn what he has and, and jong su i feel like from you know this entire film is from jong su's perspective it feels like ben is taunting him as well absolutely yeah fucking absolutely and great, great performance by steven yoon again and that plays oh. into the creepy sort of tone this film takes as the film develops and you become more and more unsure yeah of who steven yuen character actually is it's almost like his character is, becomes undeveloped as it goes on, and like it, his character becomes it like further unstitched. mystifies. Yeah. Are we getting into spoiler territory? Wait, wait, wait. Okay, so yeah. we're going to talk about taunting, and then we're going to talk about spoilers. Spoilers. But first, let's take a step back. For anyone who's deliberating over this film, I'm going to tell you, Pat. Where does this like? You don't have to give a number, but where does this rank? So twenty twenty eighteen was a very fucking good year in film, in my Agreed. opinion. Uh, Hereditary was fantastic. Yep. I saw First Reformed as well, which sure. technically released in Australia. But Burning definitely exists with those three films, like on on that same plane. Right. Um, one of the best films I have seen, I guess. Like it's an instant classic. It's in, in my, my top ten easily. Yeah. It would be arguably in my top five films ever made. Yeah. I, I think it's fucking incredible. 
Um, and uh, bottom line, I just want to make sure that at this point in our review slash analysis, people understand. You need to see I this I cannot strongly film. recommend enough. Yeah. I, I feel like our analysis probably hasn't conveyed this because we haven't given it an analysis. Like we just, just immediately have cl- sucked into like talking yeah. about it. It sounds like we're just talking yeah. about classism you, and you haven't... Uh, I think we haven't given an evaluation that's good enough. Yeah. You fucking have to see this movie, man. I uh, like, have to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to ruin friendships making them watch this movie. Yeah. This Korean cinema, it, like, yeah, I, I, I'm. This made me want to watch the director's films previously. Mm. I want to get more into Korean cinema. I watched The Host. I really liked it as a horror film. Yeah, Host is good. This is one of the best Old films Boy? I've seen. Old ever, yeah, fuck yeah. yeah. This is one of the best films I've ever seen in terms of its cinematography. In terms of its writing, cinematography is incredible. Its narrative yes. arc, yeah, we can we can get into it. But uh, there's the, so much to talk but about. But the in thing this that film. tweaked me was the performances. Yeah, every single fucking person on screen in this entire film does so a believable. does a masterful fucking performance. Yeah, Hey Me's really good. Jong Soo's really good. She, they're all fucking perfect because yeah. the guy that played Jong Soo has to play this gormless shithead. And I felt like that was just him. Mm. I thought I, I felt like You've, that was just yeah. him. And if they cast him as an actor, good on the casting agent because yeah. they cast him perfectly. His his role is perfect. It's yeah. kind of hard to realize that when you're watching these films that almost feel like they're very sort of realistically true life shot. That it's like he's not that. That's he's not that guy. His body language is so fucking good. Yeah, yeah. I think that often that's why it's interesting to watch interviews with actors because yeah. you see who they are in real life, and you're like, fuck, he's not that farm kid, right? Yeah, who wants to be a creative writer? Who's in love with that chick? Stephen Yuan plays Glenn in The Walking Dead. That's where I know mm-hmm. him from. He's Sorry to bother you. Oh, he's say? also in that. Yeah, I yeah. think yeah. Stephen Yuen yeah, was yeah. just fine in this. I think he was good, but I think that the I other really characters were so good. Yeah, no, I, I thought he was really. Good. I thought he was great as like uh, this distant kind of like alienated character. Exactly. I feel like yeah. maybe he. It was good Almost casting inhuman. in the sense that he felt alien because I didn't know anyone else in the film. Obviously, because they're all South Korean actors, and Stephen Yuen being yeah. the only like Korean American actor right, in yeah. the whole film, it just kind of like I don't know. It, it was as if like fucking Harrison Ford was in the movie. You're like, hold on, who the, what, what's he doing there? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it yeah, kind yeah, of broke yeah, me yeah. out a, a, a yeah, bit. Okay, sometimes. okay, I, I get that you guys that. love this movie. I like, I liked it. But it wasn't like the best movie I've ever seen. Even in the genre of like Andrew, quiet, sad boy, dramatic movies that we've seen recently, I don't think this was up there for me. Like I liked You Were Never Really Here a lot more. Oh, I need good. to see that as well. I liked You Were Never Really Here a it's, lot, a lot better. more. This was better. I thought that Thorough, Thoroughbreds was a film that you recommended to me that I... I thought it was, again, just fine. I thought Thoroughbreds was better than this movie. I thought this movie right, was good. Th- this, it's a tight... I would put this in Thoroughbreds as almost exactly equal. I thought this okay. movie was... I th- yeah. Maybe it's just a difference I in taste. I loved yeah, well, yeah. Maybe okay. it's just a difference in taste because I thought this movie was, was good, but I, I, didn't, I didn't walk out of it being like, holy fuck, that was amazing. Like, I thought that, I thought that the, um, the sort of plot that it develops very late in the film I thought was interesting and I thought it felt very slow going right up until that point and Mm. I feel like the film almost didn't really go anywhere up until that started to develop not that there's a problem with it being slow but I just felt like the film it's it's, it's pacing is very uh, deliberate tempered Mm. yeah exactly I thought the ones that felt very creepy almost like what was that Anna Kendrick a simple favor or something. Not yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. That's so it's it. a simple yeah. favor. Yeah. This, this has this film towards the end of the film has a bit of a simple favor, Gone Girl kind of creepy feel to it. And once it got to that point, I thought like, right, I'm in. But it took so long to get to that point. And I was really digging what it was doing, but it got to the point. Where I was like, right, fine, I, I get it. What's make make another point here? Right. So, um, I have 
so many fucking thoughts about this film. I don't even know where to Have start. Have you got anything to say about like the cinematography oh, or any specific was thematic points? Yeah. Um, I, and I think I've seen a lot of people talk about the cinematography in this film and say like, it's astounding how much, how many twilight shots they got into this film. Yeah. Because that's an incredibly hard day <laughs> yeah. of uh, hard time of day. Folks, I've tried. <laughs> that shit's fucking hard. I think there's a shitload more. I think there's a shitload more lighting and reflectors than you think they have. <laughs> okay, the scene where Helmy's dancing. Oh, the, in front of the fucking mountains. In fucking incredible the scene. The sun goes down. That was, my, that was one of my least favorite scenes in the you whole film. Oh, come okay, on, dude. You're tearing think, me apart. I, I think, yeah. Unless they had people running in and out of the house, and you have to have seen the movie to understand what I'm talking about, but unless they had people running in and out of the house, they can't have been using reflectors. That needed to have been natural light. And they film her for like three minutes during a sunset, which actively changes the light level. Beautifully shot. Incredible. But not just just beautifully shot in that it looked great. Beautifully shot in that what they had to do to get that on the cinema screen Mm. was fucking incredible. If someone tasked me with doing that, I wouldn't know where to start. Because to start with, I would have had to say like, okay, well, we're going to need to change the stops multiple times during a sunset. And they just don't. I was looking for the fucking sky. I was looking for changes in the light level and it just never changes as far as I know, unless they had some sort of fucking special lens set up. But like... That's that's the thing as well. Yeah, it's an an notoriously difficult time of day to film You're supposed to shoot at sunrise because... Because the, the <laughs> light level only increases. increases. Yeah, this was like losing light rapidly. Well, remi- they don't. They don't just like. They don't make it work. It fucking pops. It's like, incredible. It's, they they make twilight. They make that time of day. Just all of the colors on the screen yeah. are just. They they turn they turn a person from a person to a silhouette while you're watching in front of your eyes. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. It looks amazing. That that <laughs> that was that was the big Lynch part of the film for me as well. So, what that was probably the the part of the film where I thought this is something special. When I when I try to describe this film to people, I think it's Hitchcock meets Lynch, and I I haven't really had Hitchcock click for me. Yet, I, I thought Psycho was really good. The atmosphere of paranoia that Hitchcock created in his films is definitely present in this. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And definitely in that second half, yeah. Yep. So, David Lynch, the, the particular scene that I'm thinking of, have you guys seen Blue Velvet? No. No. Put it on your list. There's, there's a particular scene in Blue Velvet where there's a Buddy Holly song playing on a car radio. Yeah. And Dennis Hopper is threatening the protagonist like to kill, to kill him. And while this is happening, this Buddy Holly song is playing. This uh, this woman gets out of the car and starts dancing on top of the car. What's and the, what's the song that plays there? In dreams. Yeah, fuck. So, and when Oscar's you watch, fuck, Oscar's right in. Yeah. When you watch that scene, tell me more of the Buddy Holly bit again. When you <laughs> watch that scene for the first time, and you see all of these disparate elements coming together, so the tense, the tense. Um, build up yep. to to that scene, and you see uh, like Dennis Hopper screaming, and then you see this woman dancing to this Buddy Holly song, and it's all like at night in like a, an open cut mine or whatever. Right. All of these disparate elements come together to create something 
very fucking unique and in, just incredible. And it's an incredible... And cohesive. And cohesive as well. Yep. It's, and you don't know why it works. Yeah. I, I still can't put that's my finger... That's a great way to summarize this this movie and as I, well. And I, I, can't, I can't put my finger on why that scene works because everything... It's like you can truly sense that Lynch in that film was an auteur and he, he had just... A complete control over over his form and, and a vision of what with. it was going to be. Yeah, and he, he just knew it. that all of these things were going to work together. He put them in a pot together, and they were going to work. Yeah. So, what's the name of that film again? Blue, Blue Velvet. Velvet. Blue Velvet. David Lynch. Yeah, yeah, definitely watch it. Um, but that scene with Hamy, I, I immediately was taken back to that scene in Blue right. Velvet. I wonder if it was influenced. It, you had that jazz track playing. Yep. Out of the car again. It's very similar. It's a very similar scene, but yeah, that jazz jazz track playing out of a Hamie, Porsche on a farm. <laughs> yeah, on a Porsche on a farm. Hamie's dancing topless, and it's and it's twilight, and you see the colors changing as she's dancing. Yeah, and it's like these are three elements that work together. I don't know why they're working together, but it's it's almost literal magic happening in front of my eyes. I think that yeah. is a great precedent for the rest of the film to follow which it successfully does spoilers just, we're like, getting into spoilers i Look, think i've got a brief I, 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 comment I, I, on that that's i not wasn't going to spoil it but like i just think that the, for for the rest of the film the tone that's set by that scene is not broken or uh retraced mm. it's only built upon mm. and i i just like as a bottom line before, let's jump into spoilers in a sec because I'm sure that the people that have I've, seen it are yeah. probably, if they're like me, are desperate to fucking talk about it. But, <laughs> um, Andrew's bottom line, go and see this fucking movie. <laughs> nah, it'll be gone by the time we put this out. I'm going to buy it. Text Andrew, ask to borrow the Blu-ray. <laughs> so, leading into the spoilers, I've got a non-spoilery way to lead into it. In that, So... Um, uh, Jong Su is sort of stewing and getting more and more paranoid mm. about who the fuck is this Ben guy and why is Hey Me suddenly seeing him and is like obsessed with him and in love with him. I'm in love with her. What's going on? I want to be with her. Um, he's kind of hanging out with Ben one on one. It might even be this exact dancing scene mm. where Ben's like they're sort of they're sort of talking about smoking the weed. They're smoking weed and they're sort of opening up and legalize it. Yeah, and they're sort of like they're sort of. Op- <laughs> <laughs> um, you're gonna have to work out how to spell that baby. That's the name of the episode. Um, uh, so, so Jong Su and Ben are kind of like opening up to each other. Really um, committing to the bit, though. That's all I do, baby. <laughs> so, so Jong Su and Ben are kind of opening up to each other, and Ben they're talking about like <laughs> they're talking about like crazy shit they do um, to sort of unwind, and Ben yeah. just kind of goes like. You know, sometimes I just like, I just find abandoned greenhouses in the middle of nowhere and I just, I burn them down and I love watching yeah. them burn and it's, it's, I, I love doing it. And it's actually why I'm out here now. I'm, I'm s- about one a month works for me. And yeah. Mm. And so there's like the whole, like, when, when did you last do one? And he goes like oh, a month ago. And so he goes like, it's actually why I'm out here now. I came out with, Hey me, just scoping out the area, seeing if there's a greenhouse I can burn down. And he kind of yeah. drops that. And then the next sequence is my favorite sequence in the whole film, which is Jong Su jogging up and down his whole neighborhood. Yeah. For like, it looks yeah. like Shit, a man. month. Every day, every morning, looking to see all the greenhouses because he lives on a farm, and I guess they grow all their all their shit in like these greenhouse-looking things that are made of plastic. If you know if if you know what I'm talking about, like those kind yeah. of they're greenhouse-shaped things. Tarpaulin greenhouses. Yeah, they're, they're yeah. covered in like tarpaulin plastic 
greenhouse yeah. things. Um, and he like what runs? He runs past <laughs> all of them every day, and he's running out in the middle of nowhere because they have a chat about which one Ben is going to burn down next, and mm. and Ben and he says sort of goes like one I don't know. Very close very, to here. Very close to here. Um, exactly. And, and he's and only talking to Jong Su because Hamie's Hamie like is off passed drunk out or on whatever, the couch yeah. um, inside. Which but is very important. It's just this really cool, really solitary scene, and you get to see a bit of where he lives and all the old people and all the farmers that like never, never have even met him. And like, oh, what are you doing? Get away from here! And it's and also him being driven about like yeah. wanting to try and like kind of because he 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 feels it feels very much at this point in the narrative arc of the film that that he has just been like. Ben's porn, like he's. It's he's almost like the first amount of agency he's exactly. had in the whole and film. It's he's very like, satisfying. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna find the greenhouse he right. wants to burn down, and I'm gonna fucking stop. Because in a yeah. in its way, this film has a like a detective story vibe to it, <laughs> yeah, where like well, Jongsu is trying to sort of solve a a puzzle, and, the, and this is the yeah. first scene where we really get like Jongsu the detective trying to fucking yeah. solve the mystery. And it's this mystery really unraveling more and more and more right in front of him. He's yeah. just like, why would Ben tell me that so up front? What's going on with him and Hey Right. So All that's that. that's the big thing. I think that's what I've been fascinated with in in storytelling in cinema recently is mystery as an art form, I guess. Yeah. And the way that you Deceive the viewer. The way the way that you de- deceive a viewer, and especially the some of the best like horror, thriller, and mystery films that I've seen yep. over the last couple of years, always the protagonist is always two or three steps behind the <laughs> yeah. perpetrator so or the trapper. A, a hardcore yeah. spoiler warning right now. Hardcore spoilers. If you haven't seen Burning, go see it. From Seriously, if you like the type of movies that I like, <laughs> hopefully by like episode forty-two or whatever, party fuck, sad boy, you'll fucking know. Yeah. All right. So if you, this is this is your warning. All right. Spoilers. Ben had it fucking coming. Okay. Yeah. Ben had it coming. <laughs> right. Even if he didn't do it, Ben had it coming. I got a hot take on this from combination friend of the show, Callum, friend of the show, Anna. Uh huh. Oh, what did they think about? when we get to it? Right, so I think th- so. Th- so if we just come out and say it, it it comes it comes out that uh, Ben and Haimi break up and they're not really in a relationship anymore. And then Yong Su doesn't really see Haimi that much, but he kind of sees Ben's Porsche driving around the place, and he starts following him obsessively, kind of like well, how he, he was he, watching yeah, all these greenhouses yeah. obsessively. Yeah. Um, and oh. he's like, "Where's Haimi? Where's Haimi?" Fucking and hell! I, sorry, I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't emphasize enough. The fucking aesthetic of this movie, the 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 idea of like burning down greenhouses from that first fucking line, I was hook, like, line, right, I'm and sinker yeah. sold. Yeah. And then it just keeps fucking going. In fact, the car, <laughs> holy fuck, the car I didn't following get excited scene. enough about it before the spoilers. <laughs> yeah. I goddamn love this movie. Yeah. And the way yeah. that it interacts with with like the the motif of burning down a place of growth is. That Holy is really good. shit, um, man. <laughs> and he starts fucking chasing Go it down. Go off. Yes. Fuck. <laughs> the car chase scene was really good where it's just the most suspenseful shit ever. Just just the idea that like he's in one lane, Ben's in the other, and jong Su's lane starts drifting up to the point where he's going to be side on side with Ben. And he's like, fuck, 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 fuck. I don't know what your interpretation <laughs> of this was because this is relating to Carlin and Anna's... Uh, <laughs> relating to Colum and Anna Colum Relating to Colum and Anna's uh, Interpretation of this movie 
um, friend of the show, Callum. <laughs> um, Just make sure I, that gets in there. I had a specific interpretation. I'm super keen to know if you guys had a different one. Yeah, but what when, did Callum say? When Jong Su pulls up beside Ben, uh. I think Ben absolutely fucking knows he's there. Because Jong Su drives. Jong Su drives the most distinctive fucking vehicle. And he in, even in creeps up behind him before in a scene. Absolutely. And he's like, where he's, are you, He's following him in a dog shit way. Yeah. He thinks he's being yeah. a yeah, little yeah. more subtle. He's, there is no way Ben isn't aware of how Jong Su's tailing him during this movie. Yeah. I've so never thought about it. Regardless of what Ben was doing, I think Ben knows every moment. Mm. Do you agree, Y slash N? I'd never, I'd never really thought about it. That would make a lot more sense because there are sort of scenes where Ben's just standing there, staring into the middle distance in the, on the on a hill, and Jong Su starts creeping up right yeah, behind him, so and he's so close. I and think it comes you into know a, the it scene, cuts, right? So it cuts to a wide that shows you how close he is to him and how close he is. <laughs> but like, so uh, Ben for, drives past his van on the way up there. And, d- like and then Jong Su's like, whoo, got away with that look. one. Exactly. <laughs> and like, so that particular scene, and we're, we're, we're way into spoiler territory now. Yeah, yeah. So, like, so fuck you. Um, ben drives up this hill. Jong Su follows him. Ben loses him. Jong Su parks. Ben c- continues to go up, and Jong Su follows him again, and then ends up following him on foot. And Ben is, is standing at this kind of like dam on a hill. Just staring into the fucking distance, and Jong Su gets to like within a few meters of him. That would be fine if we assumed that Jong Su then like manages to climb back down the hill that he's on, or 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 whatever. Like mm. to take some form of action to remove himself from the situation that he's in. That doesn't happen. Jong Su wakes up on a couch in his farmhouse and is instantly completely removed from that situation. So we never get to find out what the consequences of him endeavoring to follow Ben so kind of uh, perseveringly were. Yeah. So like in, in some ways And I this is all he's following him this whole time because he wants to know where Hamy is because he can't contact her. Ben won't tell right, him where she is. Right, and he's starting to suspect that Ben is her murderer or, right. or has, has abducted her or something, but can we can we Rewind after this. Yes. After yeah, 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 for sure. But uh, uh, my my point is that I think that was the first scene where I realized, oh, we don't, ha- we we might not ever get the full story mm. of what actually happened. Yeah. Because, because Ben is shown to be right fucking next to, <coughs> Ben is shown to be right next to Jong Su. Jong Su yeah. shoot him right to the end. He's obvious. There's no way Ben could not know he was following him, and and neither of them do anything. And then Jong Su wakes up again to a phone call. Yeah, That's so it. yeah, um, to rewind a little bit as well, uh, Hamy disappears. Uh, Jong Su can't find her, and I guess at start he kind of just assumes that she doesn't want to talk to him. She's with Ben. but then She's with Ben, yes. It really yeah. does that relationship dynamic pretty well because he doesn't want to like force himself. And it yeah. plays off that insecurity he's really like, well. He's struggling to understand what his role is with her. Yeah. And um, he thinks that she likes him a lot. Yeah. And it, we have a lot of signs to rely on that she likes him a lot, but then we're never given her explicit confirmation. Again, because we never see her perspective. We always see his perspective. Right, because yep. they hook up and they have sex and Fuck we'll yeah. get to that, what is my favourite scene in the film. <laughs> it's a great scene. The fucking yeah. sunlight reflecting off the tower into her room as a metaphor. You could talk about this film for hours. You seriously, you could run an entire universe. I feel like we're getting... <laughs> <laughs> 
Welcome to third year advanced burning analysis with <laughs> Andrew Bromwich. <laughs> I'm going um, to go right ahead and assume you've done beginners and intermediate burning analysis. So there are plenty of hints dropped before and after Hamie disappears that Ben is part of some kind of upper class circle of people who are trying to fuck with lower class people, people who are yeah. vulnerable and play with them and toy with like, them. Like, right. he says, like, what do you do for work? Because he has all this money I and he has a portion. He says, I play. I didn't even really get what that was. I thought maybe You're it was some to. mistranslation. Yeah. And then in Korean, to, uh, there's a more clear word mm. where it's like, I'm a player yeah. or whatever. That's the biggest tragedy of this film, in my opinion, is that I feel like I, I won't get some of the double entendres that were written in in Korean. Like, you're going to go learn Korean to watch this. Honestly, if anything was ever going to give me a reason to, this film is it. But I think I just will miss out on a lot of the hidden meaning and nuance from it. But I agree. I think that there's, yeah, there's this class of people that just fuck with 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 lower cost people or at least that. he He is so benefited by the actions of his ancestors. He can rely on uh, choose, choosing a unique pathway which he has chosen to be fucking with people like jong Su, people like Hei people in that, yeah. in, in that socioeconomic class. Putting yes, my, Patrick. I'm putting my <laughs> hand up again. <laughs> yeah, and I think uh, that kind of gets back into a sort of uh, political... Um, critique of of what's happening in in culture nowadays as well is that th- the majority of people feel uh, alienated and disconnected from from what is happening in society or what is perceived to to be happening. Yeah. So when you're caught again on the peripheries of a happening, you start to extrapolate and and imagine things that are happening and so that's that's the root of where conspiracy comes from and that's why so many people think the government is run by aliens or the go- or you know like mm. all the things that we don't know in our lives that we're we're being controlled by other people as well um well, I, but yeah, and 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 I think that that's a symptom of paranoia, and it's a symptom of alienation well, again. And it comes back to I heard people talking about conspiracies in some other pod or whatever when they were talking about the idea that people find it comforting to think that you know Jared, aliens are in control of everything. <laughs> you or they, <laughs> well, people find it comforting to think that like aliens are in control of the government, or like the government controls every aspect of their lives. Is some conspiracy because they find it more comforting to think that. Anyone is in control because, because they themselves feel powerless yeah. Yeah. as well. So you feel powerless as this member of society that's like been so minimized or yeah. whatever you want to say. Um, and so it's comforting just to know that anyone has a grand plan and that anyone is controlling this. Yeah. And that's like where all these conspiracies come from. Mm. Yeah. I, and I th- you definitely get a lot of that here where he, he sort of feels like he doesn't have any control over his own life. Mm. And that sort of plays into this weird conspiracy and this neuro- neuroticism that starts to develop. Yeah, and, and, then, and it, then, par- then it turns like, out it's fucking real, and you're like, "Oh shit!" Well, that's a thing, and it as never well. even confirms it. All right, end of the film. Jong Su calls Ben out to a field. 
and fucking stabs the cunt, all right? He fucking stabs him, dude. And then he like... It's like a three-minute extended cut, which, by the way, also happens when he had his first conversation with Hey Me. Mm. This film uses extended fucking cuts in extremely yeah. important places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have a, their first conversation... Well, I was, they build uh, tension. Most yeah. people probably <laughs> didn't, didn't notice because they're fucking idiots, <laughs> unlike me. Yes. But... but, uh, but <laughs> <Woo>! I was, <laughs> Yeah, that's right, buddy. Um... Buddy being you, the idiot watching this movie. Um, but you the idiot listening but, to this but podcast. But you didn't notice. <laughs> listen here, champ. That they did like a, it was like a genuinely like a minute, minute and a half, maybe two minute long conversation between him and Hey Me. I when thought the film was kind of ended, so I went out like, to get a drink. She's like spinning in the cup, and like they're, they're both like they're swapping the cup to like spit in while they're smoking, mm-hmm. which is a particularly Korean slash mm-hmm. like <laughs> either that either that they're freaks. Well. No, no, no. Like, and the director's like those white idiots. Like one in one in three, like normal. like one in three people in China smoke, man. And yeah, like, it it it's it's a lot less that whole like um. Gustatory like obsession that we have with like covering up what your mouth is doing and like fucking not ever worrying about like chewing or spitting or anything is is just like gone in most Asian continents. Gustatory so, taught me about French cuisine when I was a child. Very good. Thank you. So <laughs> um, that first conversation that they have, which feels incredibly natural and as if it builds so much precedent for the the rest of the film to rely on, because really we're given quite little. We're given like a first. Conversation, a second conversation, and then a sex scene for the entire relationship of Jong Su and Hamie to be built on. And <laughs> Oscar's doing the chef kiss for the sex scene. Um, we're given that's that. the most unsexy sex scene <laughs> I've yeah. ever seen. Yeah, because, it's so fucking because awkward. Because once yeah, again, you, you get to see the titties, bro. It's like, <laughs> because once again, it's like a three-minute-long fucking extended cut and mm. and people are awkward and they do awkward things it's, and it's also like, one of the most real sex and she's scenes like hold I've up seen. i've just got to reach this condom in a drawer under my yeah. bed i can't fucking find it oh finally i found it you put it on oh i'll put it on and oh, they're weirdly on, silent and he's like staring off into Not the distance a fucking word. yeah very good and so like at it's i feel like at its most important moments this film chooses not to cut away which mm-hmm. is a fucking brave fucking move mm, yeah and i am here for it and it fucking rocks all right so uh yeah jong su calls ben out to a field stabs the cunt yeah and just like his dad would yes oh fuck all right Woo! so there's a precedent there's a precedent set <laughs> earlier in the film where <laughs> jong su is at a, a court trial where his dad is uh, being sent to prison basically for, f- yeah, for what we understand to be an explosive bout of rage. And we don't understand why it happened. We only know that his father is prone to explosive bouts of rage. Jong Su murdering Ben at the end of the film is is his explosive bout of rage oh. that, you, that you've kind of been. You, we've been on at the edge of our seats throughout the film, like waiting for him to finally crack and just do this thing, and he does it. And then, yeah. So I walked out of this film and I was like, "Oh, Ben was murdered," and I was like, "Hell yeah, Ben deserved that." Fuck Ben. <laughs> the more that I thought about this film, I realized that like. There is no concrete evidence to prove no. that Ben killed Hamie at all. Not at all. Right. Okay. At it, all. It's way into the. No, I, you don't. That they want you to think that. I'm gonna. He did. Yeah, I'm gonna do it. So intro paragraph. Right. <laughs> In this essay, I will. In this essay, I will establish <laughs> that 
every character, every theme in this film is on the same level as Schrodinger's cat. Where yeah, yes, until yes, it's yes, right, yes. and and literally a cat, which I'll jump into. Like, <laughs> so can I can I just quick because I I made I yes, did, yes. All right, follow me on letterboxd.com ankle underscore burn. Thank you very much. So. But in my review on that website, I, yeah, I talk about I, I talk about the pieces of information in this film being similar to Schrodinger's cat as well, yep. where inf- pieces of information you're given as an audience are simultaneously true and false, right? And you don't. It's it's up to you to make a judgment on what is true and false, yep. or, or it's it's yeah on it's, the viewer. Yeah, it's on the viewer. It's never established. So like he's so, in Ben's apartment, and he the only. Th- he looks through this drawer with all this weird jewellery in at the very beginning of the movie and he's like, that's weird and then he opens it at the end of the movie when he's looking for Hey Me and it's the same drawer full of weird jewellery plus Hey Me's pink fucking G-Shock G-Shock and he right. thinks like <gasps> and there's, these are like trophies know, or something men are never supposed to find the G-Shock so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. not the first um, time I've heard that complaint <laughs> this week <laughs> fuck's sake <laughs> so um <laughs> Sorry to ruin that bit. Um, <laughs> so, like, yeah, we're never provided with solid evidence that... Obviously, like, I think the most surface-level reading is that um, the burning down of greenhouses is the killing of young women. Yeah, that and ben he's, is, like, speaking symbolically, and he wants to open up about it, but... Or maybe he even just wants to tease he would, yeah, jong I think Su. he's fucking with him. I think yeah. he's like... Because then jong yeah, Su later says like... I do this shit. He's so like pushing how far he can like fucking tell someone as, yeah. a, as an upper class person. Like He's like, they're really close. I destroy greenhouses and they're so close. So close you wouldn't even notice. I feel like that conversation for me in sitting in the cinema, that conversation was, I'm going to kill Hey Me. Yeah. And, and, and you're just a little too naive to realize it. Yeah. Like, that's what the subtext of that entire situation <laughs> was. And then it happens, and Jong Su's like, oh. And it's like, yeah, motherfucker, what did you <laughs> That's think what was rich people happen? call murder, bro. I just burned a greenhouse. No, literally, he was like <laughs> talking metaphorically to fucking puppeteer you. And then, the, yeah. yeah. But even then, you don't see, because then Jong Su says, like, I looked at every yeah. greenhouse for weeks and you didn't burn any. And he goes, like, right. oh, you, you must have missed one because I, I definitely then, did it. But then, in my, in, in my second favorite moment of this entire film, oh, fuck me. next to the sex scene, because. <laughs> Because sex scenes, sex scene is always my default favorite. One. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Skip to thirty-seven minutes and fit to no. see that. <laughs> I really like the sun on the wall, but um, <laughs> where uh, Jong Su gets pegged by um, <laughs> sun, sun on the wall, full penetration. <laughs> so I, I liked the sun reflecting on the wall, but second of all, I, I really liked the scene where we see the dream sequence of Jong Su dreaming as a young version of himself and we expect yeah. we expect him to be burning his mother's clothes but instead he's burning a greenhouse and so that the identity of Jong Su and Ben are completely intertwined. Oh, I completely missed that. <laughs> at one point Jong Su's asleep. It might yeah. even be while Ben's at his house while they're smoking weed. Yeah. I, it yeah, might yeah. happen after that, I might be wrong, but at some point Jong Su falls asleep. It's implicitly uh given to us that this is Jong Su's dream, and that he's very young as a child, and in front of him is a burning greenhouse, and he looks at it with like this 
fulfilled adoration in the way like an arsonist might exactly yeah. Yeah. And, and and it's just this joy that is to be honest in a child actor like <laughs> they probably let the kid light the fire the kid was having a great time <laughs> it's it's it gave me joy to watch it, to watch it happen the anyway truth so, comes so out then, but then we're immediate that's immediately followed by jong su waking up and so it's kind of like well Shit is Jong Su probably do a phone again. literally or metaphorically burning down greenhouses as part of this. Anyway, so I think my second favorite scene is 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 that because of how much it just mixes the identities between Ben as this upper class like distant kind of like greenhouse burner to this middle class person who ends up experiencing predominantly experiencing Ben's effect on him. And the thing that was really interesting when I was chatting to Callum... We have too many friends. ...who was chatting to Anna, they, they were chatting about it and he was like, it's crazy how... it Basically, basically, it's crazy how he killed that person. And yeah. she was like... "He What? He trafficked her. Yes. Yeah. Right. And he was just oh, like... Oh, I didn't get that at all. Right. Because so that's... Exactly. And there is literally no evidence... Well, to, that, that would and, explain and how he, he makes said, money. He said the straight... Exactly. And he said, all of a sudden, he went back through the past like two hours of film that yep. he watched. And he was like, there's nothing to discredit what you've just said. That's but, so interesting. But my perspective was that he fucking killed him. Yeah. And where is that coming from? That make, no, it makes a lot more sense right. that she did and that. And it's because what would, you, what, what would you else do but kill them? But then it doesn't explain the fucking finance. So this, yeah, this, this film is like a, a sweater... And you can have different threads that you can look at. And as soon as you pull it, the whole fucking thing comes undone. Exactly. Yeah. And like, and you can do it from so many different angles as well. And that's the yeah. thing that I love about this film. You can look at it from so many different angles and you can pull it apart and it works to so many different interpretations. It really does. And yeah. like, I, I think just, I'm, I'm so glad that when we were chatting, he brought that up because... It had never crossed my mind that he was a... Human trafficker, yeah. I assumed that he was killing them. Yeah, me Just too. That was it, 100%. Yeah. He was killing them. Well, it's because it's the burning greenhouses gives you the the the, the image of destruction. Yeah, yeah, yeah Absolutely. sure. So the, the burning of greenhouses is our piece of evidence as people who are assuming that he murdered them, but the finance and the richness is evidence that assumes that he's trafficking them. Yeah. And it still has the same effect of like completely disappearing a per- he talks about like disappearing a person or a, a a structure beyond being able to ever find it again beyond existence the idea of like trafficking someone out kind of fits into that that like idea of disappearing them without a trace yeah, yeah. but i personally got absolutely nothing of that impression no not not my initial view that's really interesting Right, and, well, but I think that when so when he's talking to the woman in the park, does she say anything about like trafficking or like traveling? He's I have talking no to idea. The, <laughs> he, I don't he, remember. Do what you, you're you remember about. the scene that I'm talking about where where Jong sorry Jong Su goes and oh, talks yes, to a woman yeah, in yeah. A, an, another of the dancers in in like a park ish area, and she's like, "Oh, Hamie didn't have many friends," and it's used as a piece of evidence to reinforce her importance to. Uh, Jong Su's importance to her, yeah, but it's also used as a piece of evidence that of like, like no one would notice if she were missing. You didn't know who she was, and yeah. like yeah, exactly. Like she could just be murdered, and no one would know. Yeah, so it's yeah. it's it's used as a as a dual piece of evidence, and I think 
those bits of like dual evidence are used throughout and the fact that we interpreted I think we interpreted him as murdering her is actually like genuinely a little bit more of a reflection on us can I yeah can I just I, I feels like we're gonna wrap up soon that's probably good we are three cis white, white men man talking about film right <laughs> now <laughs> 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 and and I think, uh, you know, from what I've read online, there are um, uh, some female identifying people, I guess, who, that's a very woke terminology, um, but who, <laughs> who um, uh, have issues with Hamie's portrayal in this film. Sure. Um, specifically how Jong-Soo doesn't really seem to care about Hamy or what happened to her. But I think only, he doesn't. But only how he feels about it. Right. And I think he wants to know the answer. I think he wants to know the answer more than he wants to know that well, she's okay. So I think Jong-Soo, even though we are thrust into his world and we're forced to empathize with him, yep. he's not a good person. Um, yeah, I'd agree. Uh, and you know, he he says to Hamy that like she's like a whore. So he's like he he's not a good guy. No, he's very he's very complex. But I, you know, and yeah. and the fact that it ends he's in a murder. He's not a good guy by our standards, by the way. Like we, the, the the thing that I struggled with at that exact point in time was like, how is he normally? Is he normal in terms of? Being a Korean, like his, yeah. his social ideals are completely kind of lost to us because we have a very individualistic perspective yeah. and a, a very like Western perspective on the ideas of like sexuality and yeah and uh, and youth and whatever blah blah blah. So yes, um, but y- yeah, I think I think it kind of gets back to the fact that uh, some people have seen this as like a deconstruction of toxic masculinity as well, which I could definitely read into this film yep, for sure. Um, in the way that he is enacting the legacy that his father has put out for him. Um, and his his possessiveness of Hamy, and the fact that he is acting with such intense jealousy towards Ben over Hamy as well, um, to the point where he's like stalking his competing suitor. Yep. Um, so again, that is just another fucking way to read this yeah. film. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think the fact that there are so many different ways to read this film is what makes it really interesting, and I think it's probably worth. Worth having to listen is watch it. I don't yeah. know about whether you guys... But if you call this film misogynistic, you're a piece of shit. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, w- I would love to wrap this up. I don't know if you have anything else to say. Well, I'm sorry to hear it's you didn't really like good. it, Andrew. I think that might be where <laughs> I think that might be where we leave it today. I don't know if you've had three hours to think of a better than worse <laughs> Dan or not. Um, I I don't know. I think we've talked about it long enough that you get a general impression of the film. Welcome back for anyone that's skipped over our, our spoiler section. I think... <laughs> you, uh, I think I think it's definitely worth watching the film. We've talked about it a little bit. It's a great thriller, slow burn drama kind of film. I think it's really worth watching once it comes out on DVD. Um, it reminded me personally of films. I mean, thematically, it reminded me a lot of the creepy kind of way in which A Simple Favor but Better or like Gone Girl really develops into a creepy thriller. Um, I think that in terms of like other sad boy Andrew movies that we've done on the show, it kind of reminded me most of like you were never really here in terms of films I really enjoyed. And I think I enjoyed you were never really here a lot more. I think that's where we can leave it for today. Have you got any comparisons you'd want to make in terms of a better than worse then? It's, it's Hitchcock and Lynch. Yeah. If you're into Hitchcock and Lynch. Okay. So 
so give us a give us a film that you enjoyed more and less than burning. burning. Film that I enjoyed more than burning uh, is probably First Reformed. Okay, why? Um, uh, because that's an intensely more political film and spiritual as well. Um, and, it, and it speaks a lot to the anxiety of living in the age of the Anthropocene um, and, and confronting our uh, humanity's imminent um, mortality. Uh, sorry, and then a film that I probably enjoyed less than Burning... Something going for a similar kind of vibe, maybe that you going think this did, this, the, the Burning yeah, did a I lot think, better. I think, um, yeah, First Reform is definitely on the same wavelength as Burning. Uh, a film that I enjoyed less than this is probably look. I'm just going to say Cruel Intentions. It feels like just a bunch of young people. It's a thriller. Okay, I haven't seen it, but <laughs> <laughs> I just I think it's along the same wavelength. So I'm just going to say that for people who okay. want to. Great. Yeah. Well, thank, thanks for coming on the episode this week, Patty. We had a great old hey, time having you on. Thank you again. Fantastic to be back in the motherfucking trap. The prodigal son returns. Recording a three fucking hour. Jesus, <laughs> I'm glad that I'm not recording. I'm not <laughs> editing this one. I'm not editing this at all. You, you, you have to. We just we just said, how about that bit for 20 minutes? <laughs> no. I'm doing what I want. Woo! <laughs> thank you very much for joining us on another episode of Beef Station this week if you want to give us any feedback if you have any idea of any movies you want us to see or if you have any questions for us any feedback you can email us beefstationpod at gmail.com our Facebook page is facebook.com slash beefstationpod I've been Oscar I've been Andrew I'm Pat have a great week Well, listeners, it's uh, it's Pat here. Um, just wanted to let you know that I was the original creator of Beef Station. Every opinion that Andrew and Oscar have is uh, completely mine. They, I, I send them a, a newsletter every week of all the films that I've seen and they read over it and uh, reproduce it word for word on the podcast. So you're welcome and I hope you enjoy